At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? This is the Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson here, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith on today's show, we'll review nights one and two of the New Year's Golden Series and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, we can consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. Um, you know, it's cold outside. I mean, it, it's unbearably cold. It's like 50 degrees. Yeah, man, you know, for us Floridians, man, it, it gets, you know, below 70, man, and it starts getting cold. Yeah, it's not a game. I'm not, you know, I'm not playing. You know, thank God I got this, uh, you know, this uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, you know, um, Pro Wrestling Tees uh, fucking hoodie on, because otherwise I would die, you know? <laughs> yeah, man, you know, it, it was, yesterday it was like in the 30s, man, so... Yeah, I'm not I'm not playing about this. Like, you know, someone needs to fix this. We live in Florida. I don't live in, you know, Virginia or, you know, New Jersey or Indiana. Like, you know, it's supposed to be a sunshine state. Like, you know, it's not cool. Yeah, man. Rain, raining and cold today. I wasn't was not feeling it. <laughs> Speaking of which, you're uh you got the black 
New Japan hoodie from Pro Wrestling Tees, right? Yes. How did that? How did the quality of that hold up? Because this gray hoodie, like, has all sorts of holes in it. And, like, it, it's not the greatest quality. Uh, the black one I have has been holding up pretty good. Damn, I should have got that one. <laughs> you know, trying to be different. I'm looking at uh, getting the uh, the 50th anniversary one that they have up now in the uh, Tokon shop. I was gonna say, don't buy it from Prosen Tees, bro. You know. <laughs> Mess around, get your whole life stolen, you know, and they right. won't even tell you about it for four months except for they send you something in the mail. Right, it's on a gimmick in the mail. Oh, by the way, your uh, <laughs> your information might have been stolen. You know, like we we served our fiduciary responsibility. We sent you a letter in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> we sent you a telegram, sir, to let you know that your identity was stolen. You know, lay off. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess we can't complain too much because currently our, our shirts are up on there. So go ahead. Oh, yeah. buy, make sure you buy us a shirt for pressing keys. Risk your identity and support <laughs> social suplex. Maybe we should put our shirts on some other platforms. I don't know. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about that. But, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll look into that. Um, you know, sp- speaking of supporting, one thing I want to do, normally do it at the end of the show, but I want to do it up front in the beginning. While we have everybody's attention, just really plug uh, the Social Suplex Podcast Network. I know we got a ton of new listeners that came in for Wrestle Kingdom season. Probably some new listeners checking this podcast out for the first time. If you didn't know, keeping a strong style, we are part of Social Suplex Podcast Network, socialsuplex.com. We have a ton of other great shows on the, the network feed. So if you subscribe to the network, you'll get our show along with great shows like One Nation Radio, hosted by our friends Rich Latta and James Boyd. They cover everything. WWE, New Japan, AEW, Stardom. That's kind of their highlight there. Stardom uh, feature at the end of their show there. And they kind of cover all the major news items, kind of our version of you know Wrestling Observer Radio that kind of covers everything. We have All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd and Austin. That's your, your go-to AEW podcast for the week-to-week uh, reviews and recaps on Dynamite and Rampage, everything going on in the world of AEW. We have the AEW Match Guide podcast hosted by Sir Sam in Australia. And uh, Sir Sam, he worked on this AEW Match Guide project where he you know, ranked, I think it was like the top 100 matches in AEW history. So each week they pick one of the matches. He has a different guest on every week and they uh, review those matches. We have the Grave Consequences podcast hosted by Caleb and Maserati. They're covering all things Lucha Underground. They've gotten through the first two seasons. They're getting ready to start reviewing season three of that show. So if you're a big Lucha Underground fan, you can check that out. We have the great match generator uh, with Danny, and he's got a project where he's uh, you know finding all these, these great matches and it's going back and reviewing them. Also, a lot of uh, great stuff there. So all that is on the uh, network feed. So you can subscribe and get some other great wrestling content. You forgot some of the other shows that we have on this pot on this network. There's the SMC podcast. <laughs> There's the we- the wrestling wash with with uh <laughs> with Caleb. Eight um, bit eight bit suplex. Wilfred watches. Let's not forget that show. It's really good. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, all, all that is in the archives on the network. So if you subscribe, that's true. You, you can go back. Uh, you know, there. You know, Wilfred. Grown men watch this shit. Yeah, grown men. They covered a lot of independent stuff. Um, there's some interviews with like guys like Darby in, in the archive from some shows that we had. Uh, Rookie and Clive wrestling show. I mean, they they've been on hiatus for a while, but one of the kind of the they're key back. key cornerstones of, of the network. You know, all the quiz time uh, stuff and. Now, that was a great show. Hoping they do uh, come back soon. Yeah. But enough about that shit. Let's talk about New Japan. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, the top thing that we got to talk about is COVID striking again. So, New Japan. It never stops striking. It's like a swarm. <laughs> it's just been, it, it's always striking. I, like, even when, before we got in the air, I was like, I've got a sore throat. I don't know if it's COVID or not. Like, you just, you don't know. It's out there. Yeah, it's just a you know a never ending uh, Kojima chops in the corner, <laughs> just just keeps coming. Um, yeah. So they uh, canceled the remainder of their live events for January due to COVID nineteen medical protocols. The company announced on their website that due to wrestlers presenting eval- elevated uh, temperatures or being in close contact with the same. The company will cancel the remainder of their tour this month and will resume with live touring on February 6th in Chiba. All ticket holders for these events will be refunded. So dates affected by these cancellations include the January 25th show in Fukushima, January 29th at Corkin Hall, and January 30th in Ibaraki. The January 28th show that was scheduled to take place in Aichi has been postponed to April 18th, and tickets for the January 28th 28th show will be valid for the April 18th show. And these cancellations kind of started with um, earlier on the tour when six wrestlers uh, had to miss three consecutive shows on the tour due to elevated temperatures. Toriyano, Hanma, Norsuki, Taichi, Takamichi Noku, and Satoshi Kojima were among those who were pulled from shows. And so we got some uh, matchup changes on the two shows. All the olds. <laughs> yes, all, all the olds went down. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> Olds down back. Olds in the mud, Dan Coffin. <laughs> um, so they were pulled from those shows, and the, the last New Japan show was held January 22nd. It was a house show not aired in, uh, Gu- in Gunma. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's unfortunate. Um, but, you know, again, New Japan's a company that has taken, um, you know, ever since COVID you know, and the pandemic started, they've taken a lot of, uh, you know, measures to ensure the safety of the performers and the staff and uh, all the, you know, um, fans that attend their shows. And they've got, you know, strict protocols in place and you can't really, you know, fault them for any of that. So I think it's a good thing what they're doing, especially if there are people that are, you know, showing signs. I mean, uh, at this point, I guess it's better to err on the side of caution. It is, you know, Somewhat unfortunate, though, because business has been down. Obviously, this whole Golden Series tour was designed and intended to be something to, uh, you know, sell as many tickets as possible. From the business perspective, you know, canceling these shows, it's not a good thing. Obviously, you know, um, live touring business, and uh, that's where most of their revenue comes from. And I think they're doing the best they can to kind of recoup those losses. And I mean, we gave them a lot of grief last year about how many consecutive shows they were doing in Cork and Hall to kind of facilitate the same thing. But in this case, they were touring. You know, they did have the one Cork and Hall show, but they also had shows, like you said, Fukushima and Aichi and all over the place. And, you know, unfortunately, those are going to get canceled, you know. So 
Um, but the one positive side of it for us is we don't have to cover it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's like it's like a nice little, you know, reprieve. Yeah, and and another positive note is that you know none of the big matchups are having to be canceled or rescheduled. You know the the Okada Naito match, the junior title match with Watto and Despy, uh, all the you know three evil title programs. You know none of the title matches are, and big feuds are are being canceled. Well, you know something, Jeremy. Well, you know something, Jeremy. <laughs> no, I shouldn't be doing Hulk Hogan. Uh impressions on this podcast is kind of offensive um it's fucked up but in, in no in all seriousness uh last year there was a and even continuing into this year you know there's fans and you know i call them fans but you know i'm gonna put some air quotes around them. there's some fans quote unquote of new japan that you know are questioning a lot of things about the company and you know, it's not that it's without good reason. We've done that on this show. We're very honest about the product and different challenges that they've had and where they're, you know, excelling and where they're failing. But one thing that people have really complained about is, you know, the product feeling lackluster, you know, them not building stars, them not telling stories, things not feeling, you know, quite right. And look at what was happening on this tour. This was the post Wrestle Kingdom tour where they're trying to establish feuds and kind of set the groundwork for long term stories that they might tell for the rest of the year. Even if these are just placeholders to get to the next step, you know, this wasn't um, intended to be a, a you know, ju- a just get by kind of tour, like how some of those tours felt last year. Yeah. You could really tell where they were they had narratives and storylines and feuds. And this is something that is really uh, a hallmark and a staple of Gato's style of booking, you know. And oftentimes people pray have praised Gato's booking and they're only intending to to praise the big shows, but they never take a look at how they got to those big shows and very often it's these kinds of tours. The unfortunate reason why he hasn't been able to do that is because every time he starts to lay one out just like this, shit gets canceled, people get sick, people get injured, you know, and then it throws a monkey wrench into what he's doing. And it's the main reason why they've avoided being too committal to any, uh, you know, individual feuds all year long and have kind of just booked more like, a, you know, basically similar to like how you would book a house show things that maybe don't have as much stakes involved to them so that they could shuffle things around if need be because they had to kind of have gorilla style booking like that they couldn't have you know the classic gato long-term stories because these things just keep happening and unfortunately you know it looks like he's trying to do that but the whole thing with omicron is that it's highly highly contagious people apparently can get reinfected that have had you know, even people with natural immunity and with, you know, the vaccines and the boosters and all that. So, like, this is going to keep happening for at least, the, you know, the next early part of the future because, you know, um, this is really isn't going away. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It just kind of sucks. It's, it's a challenge that they have. And, you know, it really uh, it really just kind of put, kind of puts a halt onto what Gato is known for and what he's so good at. Because without this style of booking, it's really hard to get to those 
dominions and to those wrestle kingdoms and all that sort of stuff, you know, in a logical and, and well-told way, at least for him anyways. Right. You know, and we hear all the stories about the little, little notebook that he has and how he has long-term storytelling in, you can see that in the way the shows are laid out, the way the shows are booked. You see the culmination of big stories. You see new guys elevated. Um, and we've seen that in our time of, of covering New Japan in, in the last five years or so. And, you know, Gato, he's getting hit with a double whammy right now. He, he's getting, he ha- he's having to deal with, you know, domestic wrestlers potentially getting COVID or getting COVID and having to miss tours. And then he's also dealing with, the border still not being open and having to bring in a limited number of guys and only guys who had their visa prior to the pandemic starting. And then we know there's a, a, a strong roster full of guys. We know there, there are free agent guys in there are guys that are being released all over the place um, that Gato would have brought in if there was no pandemic. So he, he's having to be held that as well. So he, I think he's doing the best he can with the roster that he has, or he's been able to work with in the situations that he has to uh, work with. It, it's just a difficult thing, like you mentioned, to really, like how can you book and plan this long-term, you know, year-long storyline if you have no idea if the person's going to get COVID, if the person, if they're, if they're a guy that can get into the country. And let's not even remember, like, injuries. Like, there are still people who can, that injuries can happen too. So that's like another layer on top of that as well. Yeah, so it's it's not a great situation. This stuff just keeps happening. And, you know, I think at some point um, they're going to have to kind of figure something out. I mean, you know, a lot of this obviously isn't in their hands. You know, a lot of it has to do with just nature and science and government. And, you know, we're all kind of just beholden to those factors. But at the same time, you know... Um, I don't know. I guess at some point there will have to be some sort of decision about like looking at the numbers, looking at, you know, the risk reward benefit and kind of seeing where, where things are. I just hope ultimately um, things improve, you know, that's the best I can say. I I hope things improve. I hope that, uh, you know, this eventually becomes a non-factor, but you know, the reason I say kind of allude to what I was saying earlier is like, I don't think COVID's going away. And it's going to become a part of our everyday life, essentially, at some point. Like, it's not going to get, there's not going to be a point where it's just like, oh, pandemic's over. Like, it's going to be, there's going to be a point where, you know, that herd immunity they've talked about, that's probably going to have to be attained. And like, it's just going to be here because, you know, we, we missed the boat as a world, as a society, like we missed (laughs) the boat to, uh, isolate and kill it out. Like they successfully done with some other, uh, you know, potential pandemics. This this shit didn't play out like that. So, uh, you know, you know, because because we couldn't lock down the world, I missed out on a lot of great wrestling, and you know, I'm not happy about it. That's the main thing. You know. <laughs> yes. Forget everybody else's. You know, health and, and you know people die and all that. The Shinihan Pro Press was was, was ruined. <laughs> These last two years. Damn you, COVID. <laughs> oh, um, man. We got some questions here. Uh, Wiz Factor said, if the COVID situation worsens in Japan to the point that all wrestling shows need to be suspended again, how feasible would it be for New Japan to continue their Japan storylines in the U.S. instead? Such a move could help keep Japanese talent paid during such a lockdown, boost ticket sales for strong tapings, 
and could provide more crossover storylines with impact in AEW in the near term? Yeah, good question here, Wes Factor. I, I mean, I think it, it's possible. I mean, they could always see it's easier for guys to come into Japan. Uh, like you mentioned, it would be a cool thing for the strong tapings if you brought Japanese guys here and kind of uh, brought them in. The only thing there, that kind of, you know, takes over the storylines that they're already building on Strong. There's a lot of stories. There's a lot of guys on Strong already. Um, so those guys would be kind of taking a back seat if you do this. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I mean, New Japan is a Japanese business, and they make they need to make their money in Japan. I don't think, um, you know, coming to the U.S. is going to make up for what they're losing in Japan by bringing guys to, to work Strong tapings. They would lose more if they brought... Japanese talent to the states. I'm not saying like a guy or two to you know to uh, headline or star, you know, for a, a couple tours or something like that. If we did this idea, well, I said we as if I'm part of New Japan. If New Japan did uh, what what's being suggested here, I mean, bringing in a large portion of the roster and then paying them all out. Um, the cost of travel, the cost of food, lodging, all that sort of stuff, it goes, it rises so, so much more exponentially by bringing them out of Japan over to America. And then, uh, you know, I'm not convinced that, you know, obviously I'm optimistic about Strong and what they're doing. And would it boost ticket sales? Yes. But I'm not convinced that New Japan as a whole, as a uh, brand, is hot enough to be like running a bunch of, uh, you know, regular tours here in the States that would, uh, you know, light the world on fire, even if they're at full capacity, you know? Right. Um, and, you know, with the strong tapings, you know, they're running uh, pretty small buildings. Too. Um, yeah, and some, and some of those small buildings, they're having uh, trouble filling sometimes. Um, so, you know, it's not like they're running, you know, Madison Square Garden every week or running, you know, any of these, you know, bigger arenas that like AEW or but, WWE are running. But let's say they did run those same buildings that they're running now, right? And they sold them out because they brought the actual roster. Okay, cool. What is that? Twelve hundred tickets? You know, that's not going to make up for, you know, the five or six nights or that they're doing, you know, over a two week period over in Japan. It's it's not comparable. Right. And I don't think that they could do a live touring schedule like that here. In this, I mean, can you just imagine the logistics of that the cost? It's never going to happen. It's not even, a, um, this is not feasible or, you know, it just could not work. Now, the idea of bringing a guy or two to bring them over in the meantime, if, if stuff was shut down and let them work impact and maybe some AW and strong, sure. But, you know, they're not, they can't tour with the company over here. It's just, they can't. It's not, it's not happening. Yeah, that, that'd just be too much of a burden Plus, on the company. If, if, the, we forgot the biggest part. Like, if uh, COVID is so bad that they have to shut down wrestling shows, they're not coming. They're not leaving the country. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, it's a non-factor. Uh, next question here from Red Ether Dark Soldier said, so "Did NJPW do a show above an ancient Indian burial ground? Did they kill someone's mother and father? Why have they been so cursed? Even Young Boy Josh's bullying of Yo isn't that cruel compared to NJPW's curse." We prefer Native American, sir. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Actually, you know, like a lot of uh, a lot of natives don't care. Like they they use the term Indian. It's kind of weird. Um, 
no, New Japan didn't run a show above an ancient Indian burial ground because they run all their shows in Japan, son. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> now, did they kill someone's mother and father? That's possible. <laughs> well, you con- never know. Connections to the Yakuza? Uh, well, we don't say that, that word on this show. Jer- what? Apologies, everybody. Whoa, that was a... <laughs> But, you know, um, Antonio Noki has had some ties in the past to some questionable businessmen, you know, some entrepreneurs, some men of affluence. You never know. You know, maybe maybe this is a comeuppance on them. You know, I don't know. Yeah, who knows? But, you know, the whole world is still, you know, dealing with COVID, just that, you know, Japan is trying to take a more uh, safer approach right now. Obviously, you know, things in the, here in the U.S. where we're having shows with uh, full fans, uh, full buildings, stuff like that, and Japan's not ready to go that route just yet. So, Well, the good, the good news out of this, we haven't heard anything negative so far about any of the wrestlers having any really uh, tough times with uh, their recent, you know, potential brushes with COVID. So that's good news. So hopefully everyone's stays healthy and they come back very soon and finish out the rest of the tour. Yeah. And speaking of COVID, I forgot to put this in a rundown. Our good friend, Rocky Romero um, came down with COVID last week. He was scheduled to uh, do a Rapungi vice reunion on rampage. Him and Trent were supposed to take on the young bucks last Friday on rampage, but he got COVID had to miss that matchup. So Rocky, hope you are feeling better and get well soon. Yeah, uh, definitely echo those sentiments. Another thing about them running in America, it's not like COVID's not here, you know. That's another thing, too. What if they did leave Japan and came here and then they all got infected still, which is highly likely just with how contagious <laughs> this is. Right. It still gets shut. They, they, Their protocols are self-imposed. They'd still get shut down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we have some other news here. Uh, very interesting. Uh, Tetsuya Naito... Uh, you know, he renewed his contract with NJPW recently, and in his um, article with, uh, was it Tokyo Sports, I believe? Yes, Tokyo Sports. In the interview, he said he took a 24% pay cut. Um, we've now gotten some conflicting information and s- semi-corroborating report. Uh, friends over at Voices Wrestling, they're reporting that they were able to confirm through multiple sources that the latest round of New Japan contracts do in fact contain pay cuts. So we, we've you know just recently seen that like Hiroshi Tanahashi resigned, Naito, I'm sure there's others, uh, but that the pay cuts across the board are actually going to be closer to 10 to 15% as opposed to the 24% that uh, Naito quoted. Um, with Naito, they're claiming that he inflated the numbers for the purpose of storyline, which... Um, very much falls in line with what we've seen with him and the other members of LIJ, the way that they uh, kind of interact with uh, the news media when they're, you know, out and about. They're always kind of working storylines and gimmicks and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and for the full story on that, you can check out uh, Voices of Wrestling's uh, Patreon to kind of give some more details on the whole pay cut and what that kind of means for some guys and the future there. Also some stories on uh, Muto from uh, Wrestle Kingdom uh, Night 3. Uh, but you know, like you mentioned here, we have Naito coming out, Tokyo Sports, you know, um, getting permission to use this pay cut as a part of his feud and storyline with Okada. You know, he was making comments, you know, saying, you know, he had to take a pay cut because the company needed to keep paying Okada uh, his fee and giving him an increase of, of money. And so 
kind of playing that into this uh, upcoming title match that we have coming up. He also kind of alluded, if I read it correctly, that like he he himself has had a down year and wasn't on top. And it kind of felt more like Okada took center stage during this past year. Mm-hmm. And then the company stock went down and he had to take a pay cut because he wasn't the guy on top Okada was. And if Okada was doing so well, why does he have to take a pay cut? You know what I mean? Like right. basically yeah. blaming the low state of the company on Kazushika Okada. <laughs> <laughs> never, never mind that your buddy Shingo was the champion the whole year. You know, nah, it's not about that. It's Okada's fault. Right. Never mind uh, Will Ospreay, you know, left and, and vacated the belt. Okada. <laughs> you fucking bum. Uh, so what do you think about uh, this whole gimmick here of, of using the, the pay cut as part of storyline? Workers going to work, baby. You know <laughs> how it is. You know how we do, us workers. <laughs> Most of what I say on the show is not even real. This is a I work you guys every week. You you believe all the shit I say. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh man, but uh, you know the old works the new work. Right. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting way to look at things. A very you know kind of a smart play there by Naito. Like you mentioned, we've seen him how he's kind of manipulated the media in the past just to kind of lift up the his tranquilo image, the image of Lij, just kind of that kind of you know tweener heel kind of attitude they have sometimes and yeah i think it's very cool kind of using a real life situation exaggerating it a little bit to make the feud with okada uh personal i mean obviously this these guys have been feuding for several years now and there's a a story you can tell without really having to add anything extra but it does kind of add a little extra flair to this matchup um, it's beginning of the year, kind of a uh, big title feud here, and, and adds a little storyline to it. Like, all right, like Naito wants to get back on top so he can save New Japan, and he thinks he's the guy to do it. Yeah. Well, you know, um, like we said earlier, Naito does this when he's, you know, being interviewed by the newspapers and everything like that. He works whatever, uh, you know, angle or program he's in he works that into what whatever he's doing so it makes sense yeah well let's move on now to the new year's golden series um i don't think we'll you know give like a, a blow by blow review of all these matches we'll run through what are you talking about <laughs> listen that's i don't know if you guys know let me just clue you in right now i've spent countless countless hours prepping for this episode okay anybody that can roll out of bed the day after a Wrestle Kingdom, the day after a G1 final, you know, after a Dominion. And, you know, any person can, any layman, any fucking Mark can get on a mic and tell you what they thought about it. That's fine. You know, it takes persistence and preparation to talk about Goto, Ishii, Yoshihashi, and Yo, okay? You know, and the House of Torture, you know? It's not easy being the guy that has to, you know, break down Hiromu Takahashi versus Ryohei Oiwa, all right? I spent a lot of time prepping for this show. This is where you really show up. These are the game days where you either play or you take your ball and you go home, okay? We're we're fucking doing this. Match by match, minute by minute. You better have, I swear to God, Jeremy, you better have all the match finishes ready to go and the recaps. Let's, we're going... Deep. Okay. <laughs> We're going deep on Kojima, Hanma, and Yano defeating Suzuki Goon. Okay. 
Yes, the, the most in-depth uh, New Year's Golden <laughs> Series review that you're going to get ever on the I, internet. I did watch the first step or the first show. I did not watch the VOD show. I just figured, I just figured it, it's the same show. <laughs> Yeah, but not as good. No commentary. I did watch uh, both of them. There was actually there was commentary on the VOD show. So I guess there's some like different TV partner. Kevin Kelly? No, no, Kevin Kelly. It was just Japanese commentary. I think it was a uh, Samurai TV uh, version. Right. So I think yeah, with Samurai TV, looks like their VOD still has commentary. Yeah, but I don't speak Japanese, son. Like I've made a concerted effort to only listen to Kevin Kelly from now on. <laughs> when Ian Riccoboni shows up on Strong, I'm going to skip those episodes too. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Kevin Kelly Mark here. No, I'm just playing. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's do it. Let's talk about uh, Golden Series Night One. Yeah. So January 20th, show opened up. We had Great Okan defeating Yuto Nakashima via armbar, five minutes and 35 seconds. Uh, so pretty much the, the great Okan is kind of eating up uh, Yuto here, teasing him, trying to get him in his guard, and just kind of out-wrestling him and getting him out of there really quickly. Yeah, some really good slick uh, grappling out of these two guys. You know, there's a lot of people that kind of hemmed and hawed about great Okan winning, you know, the best technician award from uh, Tokyo Sports, and I get it, you know. If, if uh, the Marks had their way, Zack Sabre Jr. would be the guy that wins it every year, and probably rightfully so. But, you know, you, you see Okan work a match with a young lion like Nakashima, and, you know, he's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve. Like, I don't think he's the most undeserving technician, you know. Uh, he really can do some cool stuff in there. So I like that part. But one thing that was interesting about this match was Okan wore his big match gear. Yeah, like, I noticed that too. But he didn't do any of his mannerisms when he walked out. He didn't have the hat or the jacket on. He stormed to the ring almost kind of like, uh, I don't want to say he like he was a young lion, but maybe like fired up the, the way a young lion was. And, you know, a couple of years ago, he was a young lion and just fucking ate up Yudo Nakashima and came in there hot and angry. And I mean, probably because of the losses that he, you know, took those two nights in WrestleMania. Right, yeah, he, he's frustrated. You know, the United Empire is supposed to be on top, and, you know, the world came crashing down for them, uh, Wrestle Kingdom. They they lost um, all their matches. Well, they won on night one, that six-man, but then they lost, uh, Okan lost to, um, who did Okan face again? He faced... Uh, Sonata? Yeah, Sonata, he lost to Sonata. Then Cobb lost to Naito, and then Osprey lost to Okada. So they all lost their matches Kind of in Bro, a funk here, right now. Here's how deep they are in the mud. There's members of this group that he doesn't even know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he has not met the TJP yet. He's not met the Aussie. Fuck's Open. An Aussie Open. <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, he's frustrated. <laughs> he's angry. He was an angry man. He came out here, and you know the other nice uh, little tidbit with it is, uh, you know, he went for the uh, straight arm bar and Yudo Nakashima very famously dislocated that same arm when he made his, uh, debut as a young lion and, you know, how to rehab that injury. So kind of, you know, um, adding insult to injury, you know? Yeah. So then following that, we had Hiromu Takahashi defeating Rohe Oiwa seven minutes, 24 seconds with a Boston crab. 
A little uh, twist to this matchup, Hiromu came out uh, rocking, uh, you know, Kamatachi-inspired mask, his uh, former gimmick when he was an excursion in CMLL, and uh, pretty much tried to up the stakes for this matchup, you know, knowing, you know, he's like, you know, always a, a young lion. He could probably beat him pretty easy, so to give him some extra motivation, he put uh, 10,000 yen on the line, and then if uh, Nakashi, or if uh, Oiwa could get the mask off of Hiromu, that would uh, count as a win for Oiwa. So Oiwa trying. Well, I don't think I don't think he would win the match. He would win the sum of money. Gotcha. Okay. And um, I listened to this on the English podcast uh, in podcast on the English commentary version, and Kevin Kelly spoke with Chris Charlton. He added a little bit of uh, background on what. What was really going on here? So the deal is, uh, there. I, I can't remember the Japanese word, but there's a tradition in Japanese culture that when uh, it's the new year, you give uh, family members will um, pack these little traditional envelopes and then put a small sum of money in them for the children. And it's kind of like a New Year's gift that they give out to the little kids. And as you get a little bit older put a little bit more money in it and you know usually around the time you're like 18 19 maybe you know graduating going to college they usually cut it off basically it's something for children so like the idea that like Hiromu came down and had one of those it's not just so much about the money it's the insult of him like treating him like a little kid basically mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because this is not something you give to adults. Like, this is something that you give to children, basically. And then the funny thing, too, is, like, Oiwa probably can use the money. So, like, he's <laughs> like, fuck yeah, I'll take your mask off. <laughs> yeah, see, then I guess that's why you, we wait for Kevin Kelly, because I, I watched the Japanese, and uh, I didn't catch any of that. Yeah. But, um, you know, the interesting thing in the match, Hiromu was wearing a Kamatachi you know, inspired multicolored mask. At a certain point in the match, Oiwa finally had him seated. You know, he's undoing the mask, which is the classic, you know, Lucha Libre heel move, you know, like, oh, my guy's stealing his mask. Except this time, he gets it off. And when he pulls it off, there's another Kamatachi mask underneath. The old switcheroo. The <laughs> old Rey Mysterio. <laughs> What's that? That it worked him. <laughs> yeah, worked him. And, um, you know, unfortunately, Oiwa was not able to uh, win the money. And even more importantly, wasn't able to win the match. And yeah, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Tak Hiromu beat him with a Boston Crab, and it that is actually something that's part of uh, one of his like uh, one of his go tos when he's wrestling lions. He doesn't use his finishers or his uh, um, signature moves like the Dynamite Plunge or anything like that. Like he almost always exclusively beats them with a uh, you know with the Boston Crab, kind of like signifying like that. He can humble them using their own shit. Right. You know, your young lion won't treat you like a young lion. <laughs> uh, I I can think of something funny to say there, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on then to the next matchup. We had Tiger Mask and Togi Makabe defeating the Bullet Club team of Jado and Taiji Shimori. Eight minutes, 59 seconds via a reverse double arm bar. So this match uh, building up the upcoming junior tag title match with Flying Tiger, Robbie Eagles, and Tiger Mask taking on Bullet Club's cutest tag team, Taiji Shimori and El Phantasmo, both ELP and Robbie currently out of Japan right now. Probably the lowest match of the night, but it was fine and it was fun. 
you know, um, you got Makabe and Jado out there, so you kind of know what to expect with that. <laughs> right. You know, Tiger Mask, you know, he's not a spring chicken either. Um, and Taiji Shimori trying to make something happen with all these, uh, you know, corpses in the ring. With him, so, <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a funny thing during the post-match uh, comment, like comments. Togi Makabe was like, you thought you could beat us? Me and Tiger Mask? <laughs> he's like, don't you know he's a champion? You had no chance of beating us. He's like, I'll let you in on a little secret. I think I could take both of you all by myself. <laughs> and I was thinking like, yeah, in the kayfabe, he is, you know, a former IWGP heavyweight champion, big star, and, you know, two junior dudes. Like, he probably could beat them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, moving on to the next matchup here, we had Satoshi Kojima, Tomioka Hanma, and Toru Yano defeating the Suzuki Gun unit of Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, and Takamichi Noku when getting a lariat. Kojima hitting a lariat on Taka to get the win for his team. And here we're building up the upcoming KOPW matchup between Suzuki and Toru Yano. Yeah, um, I thought this match was pretty good, actually. Uh you know, Kojima's out there working hard like he always does. Hamo's working really hard. Um, same thing with Taichi and Takamichinoku. As far as, like, the workhorse guys, you had, a, you had a good mix of them. And then all that sort of surrounded the storyline with KOPW, with Yano and Suzuki. And, um, you know, say what you will about Yano and Suzuki. I fucking always mark out for their feuds, and I mark out for their matches because there's just a... I don't know. There's a really entertaining and hilarious dynamic where, like, Yano always comes up, like, you know, he, he stays winning over Suzuki, and, like, it makes no fucking sense. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, Suzuki gets so mad, and, you know, we're kind of seeing those same elements, like, playing out here. Um, so, yeah, I thought that for what this was, it was pretty entertaining, and, um, you know, everybody played their role really well, and, you know, it was fine. Yeah, fun fun little matchup here. Uh, Post match, uh, Suzuki once again gets himself found in the handcuffs, handcuffed to the rope. So obviously, there's going to be some kind of of handcuff gimmick offered up in in the voting for their uh, KOPW match. Possibly, I think that it's going to be something where like Suzuki wants some sort of like submission match because he's been doing a lot of like not wanting to break on the ropes a lot of like submissions and he's like trying to get yano with that and then you know we're seeing yano bust out the the freaking handcuffs and and you know the lock and all that so i think it's going to be like one or the other as far like if they do do a fan vote right that's my or at least that's what i think anyways i could be wrong yeah oh yeah also suzuki will offer something more serious than yeah yano will will offer some offer something related to the handcuffs so We'll see how well, maybe there have been times where we haven't even gotten a fan vote, so I don't know. Right, this might just you know the IWGP committee might just determine what the stipulation is going to be. Does KOPW fall under the purview of the IWGP committee? Do we know who's over? I think Kazuchika Okada might be the sole member of the KOPW board. Hmm, the Kazuchika Okada board. Yes. <laughs> I mean that that is absolutely possible. He created the thing, so he could be the the single governing body over this. I think he is, and nobody's talking about it. It's kind of like <laughs> a little secret. <laughs> you know, they come to him, and they're like, "Yo, what do you want us to do?" And he's like, oh, "I don't know, bro. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm about to defend the world title. Go do a fan vote, okay? Do a fan vote." 
just get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the uh, next matchup here. So we had Hiroshi Tenzon, Master Wato, and Ritsuke Taguchi defeating the Sugun unit of Doki, El Sparado, and Yoshinobu Katamaru. Master Wato got the win here, applying his new submission hole, the Vendaval, on Doki to get the win for the team. Yeah, man. Suzuki Goon down bad, you know? Yeah, man. They're hurting here. You know, I was already a Doki guy, but after Taka Taichi Mania in the Tai Chi match, I'm, I'm even more in on Doki. I want this man to have a great record this year. I want to see this man, you know, achieve some heights this year. And I, I was really backing him here. And hoping, you know, that he could, you know, pull one up on on Tenzon or something and get the win for his team. Come on, bro. Come on, bro. Do you even watch New Japan? Okay, let me just school you. All right. Wato is the challenger. Obviously, he's going to beat Doki. I can't believe you would even embarrass me by putting out a theory like that. (laughs) I, I knew what was going to happen. I'm telling you what I wanted to happen. Oh, and then for you to suggest that a junior should beat a heavyweight in New Japan? My God, Joe. Come on. I, I do I do all this I watched all these hours of New Japan for you to throw this trash out there. I'm tired of this. No, um, you know, I actually wanted to get your uh all jokes aside, I wanted to get your opinion on Doki um and freaking Taichi because you know, I gave everybody sort of like my rundown, but like you went and watched that. Did you only watch that match or did you watch any of the other show? I watched the Taka and Desperado match. Which was pretty good, huh? Yeah, it was. And Taka, you know, you know, Despi was like the bay face in peril. Taka was really working over the knee of Desperado and just trying to get a lot of heat. And then Despi kind of making a fiery comeback towards the end there to win. Yeah. But uh, what were your, like, just quick thoughts on um, Doki and Taichi since we're, we're on the subject, I guess? Yeah, I love the matchup. Uh, just, you know... With everything that you explain, and when you watch like the the promos and stuff like that, and like you get so much context into the match, it was such an emotional matchup. And uh, you know, you can even when the clap crowd, you can tell they were just so into it, and they were just kind of living and dying with all, all Daiki, Doki's uh, moves and him, you know, coming up and getting some great near falls on Tai Chi. And just the great back and forth counters. Uh, I saw a spot you were talking about where Doki went for the Asai moonsault, uh, came a little bit short. That was very scary. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, these guys are busting out their signature moves. Um, You know, Tai Chi hit him with the big dangerous suplex for a great (laughs) near fall. Um, Doki hit him with the the suplex de la Luna at one point towards the end. Uh, But Tai Chi kicked out. That was a great near fall because, you know, that's Doki's finish. Uh, just yeah. so emotional. And then you have uh, Milano Collection AT, like you mentioned, you know, um, he's crying a commentary, and eventually, you know, when, after Doki, I got a near fall, he, like, jumps off a commentary table, goes to the, to the ring, and he's just, like, smashing the ring apron and, you know, really cheering on uh, Doki, and he and Doki's trying to, you know, put Tai Chi away. Uh, but Bro, you're, you're making me relive it all over again. I'm getting <laughs> teary-eyed right now. Bro, it was just so awesome and so emotional. Everybody was just getting into it, and then... Uh, you know, finally Tai Chi uh, puts him away, and you know the, the big embrace afterwards. And Doki's just laying there on the mat, just crying. Hasn't even gotten up yet, just just crying his heart out. And Tai Chi picks him up and hugs, and this is this great emo. Like that was a star making moment there for Doki. I know it wasn't on uh, a main New Japan show, but 
that was a star making performance, and that to me really elevated Doki, and it just showed what he can do. I mean, we already saw what he's been doing in some of the bigger Hiromu matches and some of the Super Junior stuff, but like here in a main event against a heavyweight, like I thought he really shined, looked really great, took a lot, of, a lot of risk, uh, and you know, became became a star in that night for me. Yeah, bro, uh, incredible rundown just off the dome. You didn't even know I was going to ask you to do that. So, uh, you know, if you guys haven't checked out. Tai Chi versus Doki, it is a huge recommend, and it's it's a can't miss match, and it's something you need to see if you're going to be voting on, you know, our awards come the end of 20, 2022 Because I mean, you don't want to be an uneducated voter, you know, voting for some, you know, fucking I don't know, Minoru Suzuki U.S. excursion match when, uh, you know, Doki Tai Chi happened. You got to see it, you know, so you can at least you know form your own opinion. But the match is awesome. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you guys didn't believe my rundown from a few weeks ago, like, I'm of the opinion that people find Jeremy more appealing. <laughs> so, if anything, I think your review is going to boost the uh, the profile of this match and uh, bring more eyes to it, which is a good thing, you know. Right. Put some more money in uh, Tai Chi and Taka's uh, pockets. Well, that's why we pay you, you know, the big bucks on this show because, I mean, listen to that rundown. It was amazing. So... <laughs> <laughs> but you know the funny thing is um every year uh when they do takataichi mania there has been something that really plays majorly into the overall kayfabe of new japan on some level so like the first year uh the main event was taichi versus naito and at the time taichi was still a junior like he was just kind of bordering on that that uh weight limit and you know, probably needed to go heavyweight for a while, but was still in the junior division. And uh, this was just after Naito had lost that uh, Wrestle Kingdom match to Okada. And so, you know, he was kind of bouncing back. It was literally like right after that. And they went out there and had a banger, like a true, true, awesome match. Like had we been doing excursion match of the year at the time, probably would have gotten nominated. And that was the first step to the overall Naito Taichi view that we've seen, you know, really present itself on the main stage here in New Japan over the years. But also, that was the entry point for Taichi going into the heavyweight uh, division that same year, you know, with that New Japan Cup and the matches he had with Naito and Tanahashi and really saw him kind of step up and, and break out and really get elevated in the overall hierarchy of New Japan, right? Right. So that was that was the first one. The second time, there was an undercard match between Jun Akiyama and uh, Desperado. And this was just before that year's uh, Best of the Super Juniors. And Despy came out with the flyest fucking gear. I mean, it's li- it was a special you know event gear that he's never worn again. It was like this uh, suit vest shit. It was really, really, really cool. And he had a death match with Jun Akiyama. And I mean, when I say death match, I'm not talking about like, you know, the way like One Nation Radio calls like a plunder hardcore match. All They call all gimmick matches death matches to be funny. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a real death match where they're getting skewered in the head and shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, you've never seen Desperado have a death match before. So it was really, really, really cool. And um, obviously it was a detriment because at the end of the match, he got his jaw broken. And there was a lot of speculation that he was really going to have a breakout Super Junior that year. And then 
he was unable to compete in the Super Juniors that year, and that's what caused Doki to step in as his uh, replacement for that year's Super Junior, and that's how Doki came into the company. And then the return of Desperado following that big, you know, very publicized match that he had with, with uh, Jun Kasai. Did I say Jun Akiyama earlier? I think you did. I might have. Sorry about that. Yeah, Jun Kasai. And um, that really raised his profile, especially when he came back from the injury, you know, after the fact, and then kind of became a main player in the junior division. So even though, you know, that kept him out of super juniors, that kind of made him. And then we've, we're sort of seeing maybe on a, to a smaller degree, they're trying to do the same thing with Doki. Now, I don't know how much that's going to cross over to New Japan, but I mean, I've got to assume it, it, it it's going to play some role, you know? So, uh, you know, I like those Takataichi Mania events. So we'll see what happens uh, if they ever do another one. Yeah. But I guess we should get back to this uh, <laughs> this uh, fifth match on the card. So again, Tenzan Wato Taguchi, they defeated uh, Suzuki-kun team Doki, Desperado, Kanemaru. The biggest thing is, um, like you mentioned, Wato picked up the uh, submission win with the, his new submission finisher, the Vendival. He beat... Uh, Doki with that and um, sort of, you know, just building some steam and some momentum, putting, uh, you know, Despy's, you know, guy Doki away and uh, showing himself to be a, a real credible threat to that title with that maneuver going into their title match later, you know, next month. Right. That's the same maneuver that he used to tap out Desperado on the pre-show of Wrestle Kingdom Night 2. So he's really getting this submission hold over here, picking up a lot of steam on momentum. And, you know, I think Wato has been looking pretty good uh, the last four months. I thought he looked pretty good in the Super Juniors, and he's looking good in all these kind of multi-man preview matches. And so I think the title match with him and Desperado should be pretty good. Yeah, the thing with Wato is, like, you have people on two different sides of the spectrum when it comes to You have the Wato truthers. The people are like, if you're not paying attention to what's going on with Watto, your eyes are closed. You're not watching the program, you know? And they, they go too hard. They're acting like he's, uh, you know, stepped into this, uh, I don't know, into this, like, <laughs> like new level where he's just so far beyond what, you know, basically right. what, Do- what Doki actually is. Right, yeah. You know? But then you have the, uh, the, other, the other side people that saw him when he first, you know, came to the company in 2020 and was botching and, you know, all the, and just was shitting the bed, you know, basically there's no other way to put it. And they think Doki sucks and they're going to hold on to those initial first, uh, you know, impressions of him, no matter how much better he gets. And they are literally like, Doki is shit. Look at his gimmick. Look at how he dresses. You know, the company isn't doing any favors for him, blah, blah, blah. And then, the truth is somewhere in the middle, and it's neither of those things. The reality is he's gotten a lot more confident over the past year. He's gotten a lot more uh, competent just in the ring. Like, he's always been a good wrestler, but, like, you know, there was a lot of botches and a lot of weird mistakes. That stuff's kind of gone. I can't remember the last time I saw him mess anything up. You know, a dive, catching somebody, a spot, none of that. Like, he's really, really good now. I mean... If if you had to give me a choice, and I know that this is kind of becoming a running bit, but like if I had to watch a Yo or a Watto singles match, I'm going to pick a Watto singles match at this point. And especially since that um, August match that he had with 
Robbie Eagles last year, the non-title match, that sort of seemed to be the the kickoff for this new sort of resurgence of the rehabilitated Watto. And uh, I'm not saying that I think he's going to like be a main player in the division just yet, but uh, the whole thing about him like being the shits, that's not true anymore, you know? Right. Well, I think with the junior division so thin right now, if they're not able to bring in uh, guys in talent, like, it's, it's a perfect opportunity for a guy like Watto to kind of grab the brass ring, make the most of the opportunity and the screen time he's getting and, you know, really turn some heads and, you know, let Gator and the booking team know, like, hey, I'm getting better. I'm improving. I'm a guy you can count on to put in some big junior match situations. So, to me, I think he's, you know, taking advantage of, of the time he's getting now. Like you said, he's been improving. I think this program with Desperado is going to be a, a big thing that's going to help him uh, get over and kind of move him forward in the junior division. And I think he's going to be a player this year. You know, he was, as a young line, you know, he was uh, kind of the captain of that class and uh, one of the, the young lines they were really pushing. And, you know, he had some great stuff as, as a young line. You know, he was a guy that we were really interested in and thought he was going to do pretty well. Um, so kind of coming back with a slow start was kind of weird to see, but I feel like he's kind of picking back up. Like you mentioned, he's kind of finding his rhythm. He's more comfortable uh, in the gimmick. He's not, you know, as awkward as he was. I don't really see him doing many, like, kind of that awkward pose that he was doing towards the beginning. Like, he's kind of transformed the gimmick. He's made it his own. He's kind of changed up, like, the ring gear and the entrance gear. Um, the hair is not as bright blue as it was. So he's he's making some tweaks. He's finding who he is in his Master Watto performance, in his Master Watto uh, character. I agree with you. The one thing I didn't like about your review is you said grab the brass ring, which uh, was triggering for me because I saw that show on Sunday night. <laughs> grab the brass ring ladder match, and it was not good. In fact, that whole show was not good. In fact, if you're a GCW fan, you are not good. I don't know what to tell you guys. That We can talk about that maybe a little later. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I agree with all that. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see if Watto steps up to the plate when he challenges Desperado later this, uh, you know, coming tour. One last thing, post-match, Taguchi was uh, complaining about how he's not getting a shot at the junior titles um, when the Bullet Club, you know, junior team is. And he had Wata with him, and he's like, wait a second. The 69th junior tag team champions, and our tag team's name is 6 and 9. 6 and 9. He's like, huh. He's like, Rocky's not in the States. I've got a tag team partner right here. So, like, I think they might already kind of be teasing that they'll be the next guys to challenge. So maybe that's the the next step for Wanto following, you know, the title challenge, whether he wins or loses. Yeah, can uh, turn into a tag title program, and him and Rocky can you know, achieve Rocky, or excuse me, him and uh, Taguchi can achieve Taguchi's dream of becoming the 69th IWGP Junior Tag Team Champions. One other thing, too, I want to touch on uh, the previous match. Hanma, he seemed to be working really hard lately. I don't know if it's just to kind of make up for the deficit because, you know, there's less guys on the tour and stuff like that, or if he's actually trying to step up and, you know, kind of work himself into a more uh, favorable, you know, position in the company. But there was a point after Wrestle Kingdom where he was talking about challenging evil for the never title and then that shit just never happened but he was so adamant that i really believed that they might be going that direction (laughs) and then um at the end of this uh show he was talking about him and um him and uh or 
God, what's wrong with me? Why do I forget names? Uh, Makabe, him and Makabe challenging for the uh, world titles or the tag titles, which I think could maybe actually happen just because how limited everything is. So I don't know. I've got this weird feeling Hama might be like in some sort of title challenge scenario in the next couple months, honestly. Yeah, I, I as definitely, weird as that sounds, I, I can see that happen, especially with the, the thin roster. And like you mentioned, he's been working really hard. And even like with him, he's been hitting the, the Kokeshi uh, more now in, in the matches instead of missing them all the time. So maybe that's the other thing that's like kind of t- tipping it off for me was like that Wrestle Kingdom match where he like won. And I'm like, why did they give him the win? And he's been hitting the Kokeshi. And I'm like, I think they might be like giving him a little, a little bit of a mini push to set him up as some sort of title challenger. Yeah. That'd be cool. He's been working really hard, and, you know, when he's in a, the right one-on-one situation with the right guy, he, he still can have a banger, so I'm down for it. Yeah. They should let him uh, bring light tubes back since he invented those. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> mind seeing him bash a light tube over at Evil's head. Sixth match of the night, semi-main event. We had the uh, uh, Chaos Trio, Goto, Ishii, or no, four-man, sorry about that, squad uh, Goto, Ishii, Yo, and Yoshihashi, they defeated the House of Torture team of Dick Togo, Evil, Sho, and Yujiro Takahashi, 11 minutes and 41 seconds. Yeah, Stone Pitbull, Ishii got the win here with the vertical brain buster on Dick Togo. Um, and, you know, this was your, your House of Torture match. Like I mentioned in the preview, I thought it was a little bit better having all four of these guys involved in the match because you kind of limit the run-ins, um, but also there was still the you know the cheating and pulling off a turnbuckle pad and um, you know Yujiro biting and them kind of doing all the shenanigans they can try to do to get the advantage and uh, beat the Chaos team here. But Chaos team was able to kind of fight through all all that shenanigans and uh, Ishii really taking it to Dick Togo. Towards the end there, and, you know, the, the backstage comments coming out with uh, Ishii talking about the Wrestle Kingdom match. Those are so funny. <laughs> being, like, a stain on his uh, career and how he was kind of ashamed of that match. And, <laughs> um, so kind of taking some pain out here on, on the Booker, dropping him on his head with the Brain Buster and uh, getting the win for the team here. The Booker? The old, He's not the Booker. The, the part of, the, you know, the assistant Booker, whatever you want to call him. Guy, guy in the creative, in the in the room. yeah. Yeah, he, he's he's in the he's in the room, you know, he's in the room, but you know, let's let's not disrespect Gato. But uh no, in all seriousness, um Ishii, like what he was really saying there was you brought down my average star rating, you bitch. <laughs> make you pay for it. That's what he was saying. Like yeah. what what if him and evil go out there and like just put on a classic because he's like, All right, no more of this uh shit in the bed stuff like we're gonna do things my way and they go out there have like a five-star classic you know <laughs> that that dude ishii would win wrestler of the year right there like <laughs> there, there's no you know voting or competition like you, you get evil to a five-star lumberjack match in a clap crowd environment like just close it up close up shop you're the, you're the wrestler of the year you would think so but i mean ishii's been having so many classics for so many years and he still can't seem to get votes in other awards so you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Main event. Uh, the LIJ team of Sonata, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito, they defeated the team of Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazushiko Okada, and Yuji Nagata. 20 minutes, 16 seconds. This was your main event. And uh, I got to tell you, Jeremy, I really liked this main event quite a bit. Um, something that was very interesting about it was 
there were moments where obviously they did the scrambles, everyone gets in the ring and hits their shit and all that, but there there were large, large stretches where they just had a lot of singular wrestling in this tag team match, which is not always the MO for New Japan style multi-man tags. And, you know, like, especially with the various different feuds that are kind of ongoing, like, we got to see a lot of great in-ring wrestling between Sonata and Tanahashi that I thought was kind of like a highlight of the uh, the match. And then, you know, we got Shin- or uh, Okada and Naito, you know, really teasing up their big match that's coming up, playing the hits. And then Nagata just being like, I'm not going to, like, take a step back here and, like, be the, the odd man out. Like, so him and Shingo just fucking ran it. We've seen them go you know, in singles matches, even just as recently as the uh, G1, which was a, a fantastic match. And everyone here just played their parts really, really well, um, you know, told a really great story. And then the finishing sequence between Naito and Yuji Nagata, I thought really stood out too. I, You know, I'm not going to go full four, but I'm probably like three and three quarters on this. I thought it was a very good main event. Right, these are one of these matches that we talk about where we we say you know Lij is always great in multi man matchups. Like in a show like this where you have the Lij unit, these guys work really hard and they have such great chemistry together. No matter who's in there from the unit, and usually can have a really good fun uh, main event on a show like this. And that's exactly what they did here, while you know advancing the stories between Sonata, who's challenging for the U.S. title against Tanahashi, and then also we got Naito. Challenging for the world title uh, against Okada. And, and then Chingo's kind of on, in the back burner right now, trying to rebuild from the loss from Wrestle Kingdom. So, just a lot of interesting stories that are being told here. A lot of good action. You know, Okada and Naito always have great matches together. And so, just seeing those interactions just kind of reminded people of that and, you know, got me excited for the matchup. And, you know, Sonata and Tanahashi, the same thing. Their matches together have also been really good. And there's just some good uh, interaction with them in the match as well. So, Really fun matchup here. Naito ends up getting the win for the team. He hits a Destino on Yuji Nagata, and he pins him with a disrespect. You know, he does the, the Blue Justice salute <laughs> as he's pinning this man. It was hilarious. Um, one thing with uh, the Tanahashi-Sonata feud that uh, Kevin Kelly really pointed out was one reason Tanahashi wants to wrestle Sonata. Obviously, part of it is that Sonata picked up that big win over Okan in um, – Wrestle Kingdom, so that's sort of almost like a de facto number one contender style match. But also, it's because Tanahashi veered away from his roots to have that, you know, bloody and violent feud with Kenta, right? And after experiencing that, seeing what he was capable of, all the damage he inflicted on Kenta, all the damage that was inflicted on himself, and he was like, okay, I need to go, I need to veer away from, from this you know, GCW-ism, right? <laughs> and I got to veer back to the true way, you know, the uh, you or, know the pure wrestling way. And the wrestling. That's, yeah, the, the southern wrestling. So that's the reason why he wanted to wrestle Sonata. And that's sort of what, and you're seeing that play out with the style. Obviously, Sonata always does a lot of great chain wrestling and grappling. That's sort of his thing. But you're seeing Tanahashi really play into that as well, and it's kind of the incorporated story of the feud, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely kind of a different take on the feud and just kind of an interesting kind of character thing for Tanahashi, and I like that Kevin Kelly is kind of bringing that out there because, yeah, definitely brings a whole new wrinkle to this feud and this matchup and kind of a real purpose of Tanahashi trying to, like you mentioned, kind of return back to, you know, the classic ace who was, you know, straight up, you know, pure professional wrestler, 
not really doing gimmick matches or death matches and all that kind of stuff. So good stuff here. Uh, with Shingo, I don't know if it was the first night or the second night, but there was a screenshot of his post-match comment where he was talking about how there's a prize that, like some prize he has his eyes or his goals set on that he's going to, you know, potentially made known in the future. And a lot of people are speculating that maybe it was like, you know, the GHC title or some something like that. I, you know, you know what I always think. I always just think, you know, when these guys don't got shit going on, they're just always like working themselves into angles, you know, just to, you know, because no one's telling them what to say. So they're right. just like, oh, right. oh I, well, I've got a little surprise for you guys. And they're just like, oh, fuck, what's he about to do? Right. We see this case so many times with all these backstage promos. Like these guys are just kind of shooting off the hip and, there's no script, so they're just kind of saying whatever, trying to set their own storylines and angles up. So yeah, who knows what Chingo's up? It could be, it could be anything. Well, that's gonna do it for the first night. Last uh, thoughts I had. One thing um, we forgot to mention: the Takahashi Oiwa match was actually changed from a uh, tag team match because um, Fujita, who was scheduled to team with Oiwa, suffered a shoulder injury, so he wasn't able to compete they had to change it from a tag match to a singles. Right. But um, I actually thought that benefited the overall card because we got those two young lion singles matches against, you know, pretty big stars, which is kind of notable. That doesn't always happen. And then, you know, the rest of the show obviously was, was forwarding a lot of different storylines. We got a lot of quasi mini angles, but everyone just seemed to be working really, really hard. This was the first show post wrestle kingdom. You know, we didn't get a New Year's Dash. and There was kind of a, a little bit of a randomness to this show that almost kind of reminded me of New Year's Dash, where I was like, these guys are going out there, they're working hard, they're having fun. You know, they're kind of just jumping into the swing of things because it's the new year and it's the first, you know, big tour. And um, I thought that this was like what I like when I, basically what I would call a very good um, Road to style show. You know, they, they didn't call it Road 2, but it, it that's what it is. And this is what I like to see out of New Japan when they do a Road 2 type show at the highest of levels, which is basically what this was. Yeah. So uh, let's real quickly hit, go over the results here of the second show that aired this past weekend in the Golden Series. Uh, so this was from January 21st. Show opened up. We had uh, Great Okan defeating Oiwa via armbar, five minutes and 31 seconds. So, very similar to the previous night. Okan kind of coming out big match gear, not doing all the gimmick entrance and kind of getting down to business. But the one thing that was different about this matchup was Okan kind of wanted to up the ante on Hiromu's little uh, bet thing that you explained from the previous night. So, he kind of came up with his own envelope with more money than Hiromu had offered, which uh, Hiromu seemed upset about. And so there was kind of some beef between them. Hiromu was on commentary, um, and then mm. Great O'Connor went in um, and had the, the matchup with Oiwa and uh, pretty much just ate him up like he did like he did the previous night um, with um, with Nakashima. So went in there, got the arm bar, uh, tapped him out. So O'Connor really gained this arm bar submission over here on these shows. And I'm wondering... Well, he was mad. He was probably mad because he... Uh... Trying to steal his gimmick, <laughs> right? You know, just like any other New Japan podcast that came out after us, they, they're trying to steal our gimmick because <laughs> we are the longest running weekly, continuous, episodic. weekly, 
episodic New Japan <laughs> podcast on the internet. So, you know, anyone else that's shown up since then, you know, gimmick infringement. <laughs> uh, See, so yeah, I wonder if that's going to set up anything possibly with Okan and Hiromu in some kind of open weight match in the future. Because we'll have to see there. Well, you know, fans uh, of Hiromu Takahashi that have been lobbying for him to go to heavyweight for, you know, it seems like years now, they would probably love that. Even if it was just in some sort of interim open weight capacity, we've seen, we've seen them, you know, toy around with that with like Will Ospreay in the past and uh, different guys. So maybe that, maybe that could open doors. I don't know. Yeah. So the second matchup here, we had Bushi defeating Yuto Nakashima, 8 minutes, 29 seconds with Boston Crab. Very similar to previous night with the kind of her own match. This also was supposed to be the tag match. Like you mentioned, Vegeta out with the injuries turned into a singles match here. So kind of very similar to the previous night with uh, Bushi in the place of Hiromu. Uh, and, you know, good little match here. Just like Hiromu gets to win with the Boston Crab to keep Nakashima in his place. Then we move on to the next match. We had Tiger Max and Yudagata defeating the Bullet Club team of Gato and Taiji Ishimori. 11 minutes and 28 seconds. Tiger Max once again getting the win with the reverse double arm bar on to Gato. Again, very similar to the previous night's match. It had uh, Jado instead of Gato. Again, it's Taiji Ishimori trying to do his best. Uh, but yeah, you did have Nagata uh, in here, uh, so which is uh, a little bit better than having uh, Makabe. Uh, so good match there. I'll yeah. take Tiger Mask and Nagata all day over Makabe. Yeah, and I like the Tiger Mask. He's wearing uh, his blue gear t- to match with Nagata, and they, they looked pretty raw. Got a nice little tag team there. Yeah, blue tiger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then the fourth matchup, we had Tenzon, Master Wato, and Taguchi defeating Despi, Taka, and Yoshinobu Kanamaru, 10 minutes and 55 seconds. With Master Wato getting the win once again on Doki, this time with a, a new uh, pinning uh, finisher, the La Carretera. So uh, Doki uh, getting over a, uh, another, or excuse me, Wato getting over another finish here that could potentially come into play for the Desperado title match. Yeah, a lot of weapons in that arsenal. Yeah, you know, when you're on the way to the Grand Master, you have to make sure you're, you're you know, properly equipped. <laughs> That's uh, right. So then we move on to the, the fifth matchup here. The Chaos team of Goto, Ishii, Yo, and Yoshihashi once again defeat the House of Torture team of Shodik, Togo, Yujiro, and Evil. And uh, this time it was Goto and Yoshihashi. They hit their Shoto double team move on Dick Togo to get the win. So again, this was the exact same match. Um, pretty much the same layout of you know House of Torture trying to get shenanigans over on the Chaos Guys, with the Chaos Guys fighting through and, and bringing it to this team, and Dick Togo once again eating the pinfall. And then we yeah. cut. Whip that trick. <laughs> uh, I think it'll be really interesting if House of Torture ever comes to America, because, like, you know, you if you boo them, that's the role they play. That's kind of appropriate, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine them getting cheered, maybe by some freak fans, but I couldn't imagine that. But then there's, like, the kinds of fans that actually hate them. And, like, I could imagine, like, like jeering them with some pretty, like, um, hurtful cheers. Like, you know, we're – if people don't know, like, we are uh, pretty adept at getting over chants in uh, 
<laughs> different wrestling shows. And I know that those aren't always the most popular in say a new Japan setting, but like I could see them showing up and us being there and like getting some shit over that. Like <laughs> you really don't like us. Yeah. Uh, and then it's like, it's like, Oh, we're not heels getting heat. Like they really fucking hate us. Like, we, you we know, got, it's, it, it's into disrespect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad you mentioned uh, fan reaction uh, and to evil. So the one thing I did notice on, on both of these shows that uh, was kind of very disturbing was just the amount of evil House of Torture towels that were in the crowd. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I noticed several. Uh, there were at least five within in the Corkin crowd of people holding up these how to torture King of Darkness evil towels. And I was like, That's oh. more towels than I've seen for uh, Hangman Page on AEW. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm like, man, no. This man is like starting to get, you know, Corkins is the smart crowd. And I'm like, no, nah, like he's getting over with the smarts in Japan. So this is not good. <laughs> Bro, you know, you know the deal with evil. He's always been fucking over. And I've and you know the deal with me. I don't like him, so I've never understood it. So I wouldn't be surprised. Remember that time in Dallas? Yes, the when, press conference. He got a huge pop. Oh my god, he came out and uh, like he got one of the and when I say loudest, I'm not saying like one of the like ten or fifteen loudest pops. Like it was like one of the two or three loudest pops of anybody that came out for that press conference. And like we're talking a press conference when like Okada was there, Tanahashi. Naito, you know, all the big hitters and like fucking evil comes out. These people lost their shit. And I was looking around like, where are we? (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of like diehard evil fans in Dallas, Texas. So weird. Yeah, really, really weird. Uh, But that was that was pre-house torture, of course. Yeah, that that was L.I.J. evil where, you know, he was pretending to be the rock and, you know, (sighs) everything. (laughs) I I miss those days. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, main event here, uh, six man tag action. We had the LIJ team of Sonata, Shingo, and Naito. They defeat Tanahashi, Okada, and Togi Makabe. 18 minutes and 44 seconds. Um, this time it was Sonata getting the win of the team. Hits the uh, skull in on Togi Makabe to get the uh, submission victory for the LIJ team here. So we've noticed that the, the title challengers are picking up the win. Naito got the win the first night. Sonata. Getting the win this night. Um, again, very similar to the, the previous night, except we had Makabe in here, except instead of Nagata. So, you, when, so it was worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Makabe was not about that bump life, but, you know, he got in there with Shingo, and they had a little uh, layered exchange that was pretty cool. Uh, and so, again, you know, good back and forth matchup. A lot of great action between the you know title matches coming up. And uh, I think the first night's was better, but, again, a, a nice main event here to – Get us ready for the U.S. title match and the world title match. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Nice. Well, let's jump over to uh, New Japan of America. We had this week's New Japan Strong taping 
Nemesis Night 3. This is from Saturday, January 22nd. And uh, we started off the show with a singles match between Royce Isaacs. He defeated Lucas Riley. We've seen Lucas Riley previously on the last tour. He had a singles match with uh, Jonah that I thought was pretty good. And I thought he had a good showing of himself here against Royce Isaacs as well. You know, kind of playing that plucky underdog babyface role. Um, unfortunately, he was not enough to overcome the force that is Royce Isaacs and uh, succumbed to him at 7 minutes, 24 seconds. Yeah, good opener here. I'm glad we got to see a little bit more of what Lucas Riley can do because in that, in that Jonah match, he got absolutely squashed, didn't get much offense in. So saw him here, you know, um, smaller guy, high flyer. He's doing, um, you know, standing shooting star presses, a lot of you know, kind of cool high flying, a lot, a lot of Hurricane Rana. So um, looks to have some, some good in-ring work, um, exciting high flyer. So guys, glad to see some more of his offense. But also this was really all about, you know, Team filthy, team filthy Royce Isaacs here, and him picking up the the big win. It was okay. He didn't do a destroyer. <laughs> you know, if you're gonna be a high flyer, you got to do a destroyer nowadays. Yeah. If you don't do a destroyer, eh, you know. Maybe maybe, maybe he was playing too, but you know, Royce cut him off before he got the chance. I think so. Royce Isaacs, very. He, that's a guy I really like. But one thing that always throws me off is those fucking boots with the tassels. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Like he's like fucking Shane Douglas in ECW. <laughs> you know, he looks like those boots should only be worn by someone who's going to like come off the top and do some crazy shit, you know? Right. Like he, or if he's teaming with the Young Bucks. Yeah. If you team with the Young, well, they don't wear tassels anymore at all. Right. So, uh, without the tassels. Um, uh, <laughs> Second match of the night, we had Juice Robinson. He defeated the debuting for New Japan, Bad Dude Tito, uh, California mainstay, guy that's gotten a lot of notoriety recently uh, from his recent work on Josh Barnett's Blood Sports. And um, they went out there, and they I thought they had a really, really good singles match. This was um, probably one of the better Juice outings in quite a while. He seemed really motivated. Uh you know, Bad Dude Tito obviously was looking to make a, a really good first impression. Juice did a lot of favors for him, trying to get him over. And, uh, you know, for a sub-10-minute match, I thought they, they had a hell of a match, honestly. Yeah, I really enjoyed this match. This is my first time seeing Bad Dude Tito. I know he's done a lot of the blood sport stuff. I don't think he was on the blood sport show that was here in Tampa Mania weekend. Uh, this is the first time I've seen him in, in a matchup, and it's just a regular Pro Wrestling Rules match, and I thought he was awesome. Uh, to me, he kind of gave off some Scott Norton vibes with his look and, and a singlet. Uh, and this was a nice, hard-hitting, snug match. These guys were laying in the chops, laying in the forearms. Uh, bad dude Tito was uh, throwing juice all over the place. And like you mentioned, juice fired up the that Hollywood, California crowd. They were all behind juice um, and really uh, you know, into his offense and getting behind him. When he was trying to come from underneath and um, you know get some um, comeuppance on uh, Bad Dude Tito, so good back and forth stuff here. Uh, Juice winning the match. Well, first of all, uh, to set up his new finish, he did a elevated um, pulp friction where he kind of hung Bad Dude Tito on the ropes, kind of a like Tower of London like maneuver. That was pretty scary. Like that could have gone wrong, but it came off really nice looking. And then. Uh, it, it looked great, but the scary thing about it was like he had him draped, like you mentioned, over the top rope, 
And I thought that they were gonna he was gonna like pull him out, but he didn't pull him out. He planted him straight down. And I was like, oh God, that looks incredible, but also there's a a very slight margin for error there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was, I was a little worried, but yeah, he pulled it off and then he gets his new finisher, the HHB, which looks similar to like a, a key crusher that Loki used to do back in the day, kind of pick him up in a fisherman position, suplex, and then spin him out in kind of a driver-like uh, position. Yeah, I wasn't totally sure on that whole thing. I, I I didn't know that that was officially his new finisher. If it is, I like it a lot. I thought it was a cool move um, and a great match. Post-match, Juice gets on the mic, calls out Jonah, wants to fight him. Jonah comes to the ring, and you know they look like they're going to come to blows. Suddenly... You know, Juice Robinson, the stupid babyface, forgets that Bad Dude Tito's still in the ring. Bad Dude Tito grabs his foot. You know, he gets jumped by both, uh, you know, Jonah and Bad Dude Tito. They, they, they're both going to the top rope saying that they're going to kill this guy. Literally, they're like, let's kill him. <laughs> yeah, and that's literally what John said. <laughs> but then, um, you know, his part, uh, Juice Robinson's partner, Dave Finley, makes the save, comes out, helps him avoid death, and uh, looks like we might be getting... Well, definitely we're going to be at some point getting a Juice-Jonah match, but it looks like we might even be getting potentially a tag team match between yeah. these four. Yeah, well, the tag match is already announced for the, the Rivals taping that's happening uh, next month in February, also in uh, Hollywood. Yeah, that will probably be pretty good, so looking forward to that. And then uh, the main event, we had uh, tag team action as uh, Team Filthy, Fred Rosser. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Team Filthy, Jarrell Nelson and Tom Lawler, they teamed up with uh, Black Tiger, and they were defeated by the team of Fred Rosser, Rocky Romero, and Taylor Rust. And, you know, the interesting thing here, obviously they're building to the big uh, strong openweight title match between Taylor Rust and um, Tom Lawler. And there's the ongoing feud between Black Tiger and Rocky Romero, some sort of specter from his past. But um, there's a lot of dissension within the uh, Hauntai group because Taylor Rust is a former member of Team Filthy and he was kind of ousted from Team Filthy when he was ousted from the promotion and had to go down to Florida for, you know, a cup of, you know, a cup of coffee. And um, New Japan doesn't kind of forget those sorts of things. So when they brought him back as a babyface, Fred Ross and Rocky Romero are very wary of the guy, you know, and very, you know, kind of wondering, can we trust him? Can they coexist? <laughs> but that is really the story of the of the match, and even post match, even though they won, you know, Fred Rosser and Rocky Romero were really uh, kind of laying into Taylor Russ because they don't know if the guy's trustworthy or not. They don't know what his uh, intentions or motivations are. You know, he's not one of them. Um, you know, figuratively and literally. So, right, and then also uh, post match, there was uh, you know Rocky and Black Tiger were kind of having a little uh, pull apart pull apart brawl. So. At some point, we're going to get the uh, Rocky Romero and uh, Black Tiger singles match. And, you know, I thought this was, it was a, a really good matchup here. I think the the one problem, so like you mentioned, the whole story of the match was Rocky and Ross are not trusting uh, Taylor Russ and Ascension there, not really wanting to tag him in. I, I thought that uh, that was a, a great story, and it works out with the whole thing of Taylor Russ coming back. But I think it kind of hurt him as a bay face just because at least with that crowd, because he's coming back here and you can tell like he was almost like the least known out of 
the whole match, and he didn't really get a huge pop when he came out. You know, fans were really into to, to Rocky and, and Rosser. And so going in, you know, the number one challenger for Filthy Tom, supposed to be like this, you know, hot baby face. I feel like it kind of cooled him off because the the top baby faces weren't really, you know, digging him or, you know, letting him in, in on the match. Yeah, you know, um, there's a match, the 1992 War Games, where uh, Sting Squadron, they're teamed up with Nikolai Volkov. And, um, no, I'm sorry, God, Nikita Koloff. And, you know, there's a lot of questions about Nikita's allegiance to WCW and to, you know, Team Sting. And then uh, they do the famous spot where uh, Sting's going to get, you know, I don't know, gaffed with some fucking, you know, whatever, some some gimmick. And he pushes Sting out of the way. and He takes the, the fucking brunt of the attack, right? And right. then l- later on in the match, him and Sting look at each other and they hug. And the whole crowd goes crazy because, you know, there's no question who, who you know, whether or not he's allegiant to the team. And they kind of help get Nikita over in that moment and get the fans on his side. I do think I agree with you. There should have been some moment in the booking where, like, if they were going to be wary of him, where it becomes very known, like, oh, no, this dude is one of us. He's come over to the good side and we're going to put our stamp of approval on him, whether it be something like what I just described where, you know, he steps in the line of fire for Fred Rosser or at the end of the match, they shake hands and pay respect to him, you know, because he showed the goods or whatever, but they didn't do that. They kind of kept the tensions going, which, um, you know, maybe there is some sort of storyline reason, but it, it doesn't seem to be benefiting him and his, uh, you know, trajectory to be like a, a top challenger for Tom Waller. You know, I don't think that there's a lot of heat or buzz behind the title challenge. Yeah, and this is like ending up being one of like the weakest towel challenges. It's like, like it pretty much is like a, a you know dead set. Like we know like Tom is winning. Like I don't see Taylor Russ. You know I don't think it would make a ton of sense. Like he's not over. The fans are not really into him, and just yet, you know he's just coming back. And so uh, I think it's going to be a, an easy you know defense here for Filthy Tom. Well, that's going to do it. Very good episode of uh, New Japan Strong next week is the final night of New Japan Strong Nemesis, night four. And uh, this is going to air Saturday, January 29th. Uh, on that show, we've got three matches. We have Alex Zane taking on Arya Davari, uh, Alex Coughlin in his final match before his graduation from Young Lion status against Jared Kratos. That, this one's been brewing for a long time, so that should be very, very good. There's a big story behind that. And then the main event is the uh, US of J Open uh, Challenge as Jay White will be facing the young and up-and-comer Christopher Daniels. <laughs> yeah, should be a fun episode here. Uh, Difference is uh, also two big matches that semi-main and main event. I'm curious to see if Coughlin's going to you know, continue to come out with the, the Young Lion gear and music or if it's need to beat Kratos to... Uh, to graduate here, so that should be that should be a fun matchup. Their interactions in the multi man that they've had recently have been really good, and Jr.'s that one last you know monkey on his back that he really needs to get off before he can really kind of break out of uh, you know the young lion ship that he's in right now. Um, and then uh, Jay White, we've seen he's doing you know, the U.S. of J Open Challenge, um, opening the you know forbidden door for people to come in. So interesting pick here. The Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels coming in here to tangle 
with Jay White, and I was always a big fan of the Fallen Angel. And you know, it seems like he's kind of on like a, a retirement kind of tour. You know, he did some, did some shots on Impact. He's doing some indie dates. Seems like he's trying to you know gear up and you know do one last big year in wrestling. So looking forward to see how this match turns out. Nice. Well, let's turn our attention to uh, what's becoming a weekly staple on this show: Lions Roar. Uh, when we spoke last week, I had seen episodes one and two. You had only seen episode one. In hindsight, I realized I probably should just covered episode two, even though you hadn't seen it. But uh, you know, whatever. Um, Episode three came out this past week. I watched that today. Are you up to date, Jeremy? Yes, I have seen episode two and three. All right, cool. So, um, you know, we can talk about that. And, uh, you know, one thing I noticed uh, already with episode three is they now have like a title uh, intro that they didn't have for the first two episodes. And some of the things I complained about last week were like the explanation of what the show is. They, They still haven't quite fully explained exactly what all this is going to be but they kind of quasi did that in that intro where they said like 13 wrestlers you know in one house so you know i guess that's the deal there's 13 wrestlers and it's it feels like episode to episode they're kind of picking one guy to sort of highlight during the course of that episode so you kind of get a little bit more insight into who they are and what their struggles and their background are and everything like that. But uh, the, the show is really great, man. Yeah, I've really been enjoying it. Like you mentioned last week, episode two, that kind of spotlight focus on Michael Richards, uh, one of the, 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 the head young lion from the Folly Dojo who competed in the 2019 uh, Young Lions Cup and kind of, you know, this is a, whole, a big redemption story for him because, you know, he came in with that Young Lions Cup. Like he mentioned, you know, he's supposed to be on the same level as the L.A. Dojo guys, Fredericks, Connors, and Coughlin were also in that tournament, um, and his performances weren't great. He talked about how he was out of shape, and after one of the matches, Rocket came up to him and was like, you know, I don't I don't think you belong here. Um, and I remember us kind of being pretty hard on Richard's performance uh, during that Young Lions Cup. I mean, you had Fredericks and Connor and Coughlin and, and Narita and Umino all in there killing it, and then he comes in and they – like you said, he, he just wasn't in the best shape and wasn't on those guys' level. Um, so it's a real kind of redemption story here. He just talked about you know, coming back to train and how he you know, he let Foley down, let himself down, and uh, he's going to keep training until he can get uh, another shot to go back to Japan. So it just really made you care for Richards and kind of want to get behind him. And the day that he finally comes back, I think it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. I thought that was really kind of interesting and compelling to see how they peeled the curtain back and sort of revealed those those kind of aspects so that was pretty awesome in that second episode um most recently in the episode that came out this week so episode three um we saw a few different things you know we're we're seeing some of the training regiments that these guys are going through some of the expectations the culture that's being taught to them um the manners all that sort of stuff um and they got a shipment in of uh like the track suits, but these are specially designed track suits with a special, you know, New Zealand dojo stitching put into them. And uh, they handed those out to all the trainees. It looks like they kind of have their core group now. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, Bad Luck Fale sort of emphasizes that there have been people, I guess, who've been in their camps that leave in the middle of the night, you know. And he was like, you know, if you if you wear this, 
you can't leave with it. If you leave this camp, you leave that here. And if you take it, we will come find you and we will take it back from you. And he's like, that's the one thing. He's like, if you're going to have respect for this camp, you know, if you want to keep these, you have to go through the entirety of the three weeks or however long it is this course is that they're doing the camp. And he was like, but, uh, but if you leave, you don't take that with you. And I was like, oh, that's pretty uh, kind of interesting, you know, to kind of build a sense of like team unity and, you know, presentation and respect and everything like that. Yeah, that was definitely a kind of cool moment there. And yeah, Fala has been really great on the show and just like some of the comments that he's making and then uh, just seeing him as a coach, you know, the one point where they're, they're practicing like pummeling and inside control. And he's like, you know, if I, if I can get it, I'm going to throw you. And then, you know, he's, he's walking around a circle and pummeling with the guys. And then some guys, you know, they, they leave the, let themselves open and he just tossed them across and just like moved on to the next guy. The other thing, too, that was interesting with this episode is as time has gone on, I mean, they, they established that, like, the the um, building that they're announced, not the original Fale Dojo. In fact, I remember when they when he started the Fale Dojo, it was literally at the genesis of this podcast. That's like four years ago. And, um, you know, you got to wonder to yourself, man, they've been around for four years. We've hardly I mean, I feel like the only two guys we really kind of seen come out of that dojo was like Aaron Solo and uh michael richards you know what i mean right we haven't and you're you gotta wonder yourself like who are they training what are they doing we don't hear much about this dojo and as time has gone on with the show they kind of revealed like they subtly like revealed some of that history and we're starting to see different guys that are alumni who were training with them and maybe are abroad because of covid and they're starting to come back and there is one gentleman who uh had been sort of like a graduator out of their school and went to Japan. And after literally just a week had to like drop out of the no gay dojo system because it was too hard for him. And they did a special profile on him this week as well. I forget the, the, the guy's name. Yeah, I, hopefully I, think, I, was, I think it was like uh, was Jake Taylor or something like that was his name. I think it was something like something that. Like that he was, yeah, he talked about, about how like he lost his uh, girlfriend and his like relationship to wrestling. And then, you know, wasn't able to like hack it in the no gay dojo and he's trying to go back now right like he had like an achilles injury and like anytime he pointed to the injury the no gay dojo guys were like get out like if you're gonna you know show weakness like get out this dojo uh um, i feel like they'd crack me <laughs> real quick <laughs> yeah dude i'm watching all this stuff and i'm like bro there is absolutely no way like even like in like probably my peak like amateur wrestling like condition like our amateur wrestling was pretty tough, but, like, I don't know if I could handle, like, some of the stuff that they were doing. Yeah, the, it's it's really, uh, it helps you to really uh, gain a sense of respect for what they're doing and what the guys that perform in New Japan, the ones that have gone through the dojo system even, um, gives you a bit more insight and respect into the craft, into what it takes to get to where they're at. And uh, I think that's something that's sort of lacking a lot of fans you know, we live in a a time and a culture where everyone's got a voice online and they like to shit on everybody. And, you know, they have no idea what someone like Bad Luck Fale or someone like, uh, you know, Master Watto or whoever, what they've really gone through to earn their spot to get to where they are and still have to do to continue to, to stay on. And it, it's really eye-opening. So, um, you know, I, I do want them to tighten up episodes a little bit more. It seems a little bit... Uh, each episode, I mean, the production's incredible. Yeah. 
it, it, it's really, and it's every week it gets better, but the narrative is still kind of black. I don't like, it's a lot of footage kind of compiled together, which is great, but I'm still wondering what the narrative and the overall story is going to be, but uh, I'm enjoying watching it play out. And I really like the show and I think the show's important. And uh, if you're not seeing it, you need to watch it. It's an easy watch. It's like 20 minutes per episode. Yeah, 20, 24 minutes. I watched this week's on uh, the elliptical at the gym. Really, really easy watch. And like you mentioned, like we mentioned last week, like this helps you know these guys and, and get like the background and be more invested. And, you know, sure, like not probably all these guys are probably not going to make it to Noge Dojo. And out of that percentage, probably not all of them are going to make it to like the New Japan roster. But there are going to be some that will. And watching this, you're going to get that full story and you're going to be able to be more invested once they debut as Young Lions and start having matches. I agree. So that's going to wrap that up. Let's jump into the news here. A few news items. Uh, So we already covered this, uh, but Kose Fujita, he sustained shoulder injury in training. Uh, He's going to miss the first half of the New Year's Golden Series. And, you know, there's also several shows canceled. So (laughs) it looks like everyone is. Um, In other news, Chase Owens has tested positive for COVID-19 this past week and has pulled out of his bookings. Uh, For the week, he's in the U.S. and his bookings were independent shots. Yuya Yamura, also based in the U.S., pulled out of his weekend's bookings as well due to being in close contact with Chase. Uh, Owen said that he felt horrible on 112 and 113, but was doing better on January 15th. So uh, all the best wishes to those guys. Hope they feel better, obviously. Um, Axis has debuted the New Japan Best of Show at 10 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. It uh, debuted this past week after Impact on January 20th. Uh, the debut show was Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho from Wrestle Kingdom 12. Um, the upcoming shows that they have, uh, you know, slated to be uh, played in subsequent weeks. January 27th, they have Okada Naito from Wrestle Kingdom 12. February 3rd is going to be Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi from uh, the G1 Climax final. February 10th will be Tanahashi versus Jay White. February 17th is John Moxley versus Juice Robinson. February 24th is Ibushi versus Jay White in their G1 final. And then the up-to-date shows are going to start on March 3rd. Yeah, so I did go ahead and uh, watch the the re-airing of Alpha vs. Omega this past week on Access TV. So like, like we said, it's you know the exact same show that aired on Access the first time, had Josh Barnett and Jim Ross. On the commentary, and man, that that matchup was just so great. It was just kind of great, just reliving like you know they played the video package beforehand, just kind of reliving that whole that whole story and that big matchup. And yeah, it was pretty cool to just see like the access presentation uh, once again, the, the quality of the footage and just uh, everything that in, involved that production there. So I am looking forward to seeing what the you know the new setup is going to look like uh, come March third. And, uh, you know, the, the, the show, it got, I think, got 88,000 viewers uh, coming in from the impact lead. And so uh, based off of the, the charts and the analytics, uh, a lot of this comes from WrestleNomics. You know, this is a pretty good number for New Japan uh, on a Thursday night at 10 p.m. They do believe that uh, when new content starts, this show could potentially overtake uh, impact and their ratings. Well, you know, historically speaking, when New Japan was on Axis, uh, 
at no point has uh, Impact really compared to the numbers that uh, New Japan was consistently doing on the same channel. Um, it will be interesting to see how they compare with one another. Uh, one other interesting um, tidbit is the fact that uh, even though Impact was the lead-in for New Japan, they actually had one of their highest viewerships. And I have to imagine maybe that has something to do with the fact that New Japan was on afterwards. You know what I mean? Right. People so, kind, of, kind of tuning in because they wanted to stick around to watch uh, Alpha vs. Omega. Right, because it's sort of like you have a block of programming. You watch your Impact, and then you can watch your, your New Japan afterwards, and it's like, you know, why not? You know, it, it would almost seem weird to only tune in for the New Japan when it's like, well, Impact's right there, you know? And it's not right. like it's not like a different wrestling program on a different channel that's running in that time slot where you have to switch over. It's on the same channel. So, I mean, if you're already going to be watching the one show, you know, it's beneficial to watch the other one. And so it kind of makes sense. Um, I think that's beneficial to both companies, but you know, you look at New Japan, and I mean, from what I understand, they beat them in the demo, right? New Japan beat uh, Impact. Is that correct? Uh, or, came, or came very close. I, I, think, I think they came close. But I mean, they were only running a rerun, and they're in a worse time slot on the night. So, based on all the preliminary evidence, I wouldn't, and then also history, I wouldn't be surprised if they start doing much higher numbers than, uh, than impact does. And you've got to wonder how access is going to feel about that, whether that's a positive or negative, since they own, since Anthem owns both, you know, impact as well as access TV. So, um, moving on new Japan's, uh, thoughts and deepest sympathies are with all those affected by the disaster that struck Tonga this past week. Uh, if you guys didn't hear, there was an underwater volcano that uh, exploded and erupted not far off the shoreline of Tonga, and it caused a bunch of tsunamis and stuff like that. So to help with it, there's a special Tongan Lion Mark tea that's now available on Token Shop Global. Uh, all the profits of the sales of that are going to be donated to relief efforts in Tonga. So, you know, if you want to help, that's one cool way you can do it. Um Will Ospreay, he successfully defended the Warrior Wrestling uh, World or Warrior Wrestling title against Brian Cage this past weekend. Um, he did say he won't be at Warrior Wrestling in March because he has plans in Japan, but he does plan to bring friends with him the next time he comes to Warrior Wrestling. And uh, I did see that match; you saw it as well. I, I thought that that was uh, one of the better excursion matches I've seen this year so far. I think I went like four and a quarter, and I heard a lot of really great reviews about it as well. Yeah, really fun uh, matchup there. I mean, Osprey's just incredible, and Brian Cage is just a, a freak as well in the ring. And so, yeah, kind of a, a dream kind of matchup here. And, yeah, really good main event. I uh, went four and a quarter. A um, lot, lot of crazy spots. I definitely recommend, uh, you know, if you have access to this, to, to watch this matchup. And I did think, you know, Osprey's post-match comments are very interesting. You know, him talking about, you know, being busy in March in Japan, which is all the New Japan Cup, and so he was hinting at that. So that's kind of great news to think that we're going to get Osprey uh, in the New Japan Cup again, and then it could be cool to see you know some United Empire influence on Warrior Wrestling shows uh, going forward in the future. Yeah, and if you follow that company, um, Casey Navarro has some sort of gimmick where he won something, so now he gets to name his title shot for any title. He came out at the end of the show and did a stare down with Will Ospreay. So 
seems like when they do uh, do the next title match, it'll probably be Osprey, Casey Navarro. So, um, you know, that's another one to look out for later in the year. But, you know, Brian Cage is a guy that's kind of been um, had a somewhat tumultuous relationship with AEW as of late. Seems like he's not being used there. And there's a whole slew of uh, contracts that are getting ready to come up, uh, as was revealed in the media recently. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe perhaps he's a guy that can make his way over to New Japan Strong. Um, he's got the look and the style. He, you know, it's no secret. He's not a great promo. And in New Japan, you don't have to be. And I think he actually could be one of the few guys that really could be a great fit in Excel um, and probably fit better in New Japan than he did in, say, like, AEW. I don't know what you think, Jeremy. Yeah, I absolutely think that. And I think, you know, anytime you see a unsigned guy wrestling a New Japan guy, I think it's a, it's a tryout, whether it's an official tryout or not. Like, you know, the office right. is watching. And so it's all the chance to uh, improve, catch some eyes and potentially lead to something for New Japan in the future. So I definitely think that, you know, New Japan office is going to be watching this match. I'm sure Osprey is probably going to put in a good word. And, you know, they're always looking for stars to bring in for strong. because You know, they're, they're trying to sell tickets. They're trying to, you know, do some touring here. And then, honestly, once the boards open up back up, you you want some fresh guys you can bring in to do some big matchups, um, get some fresh G1 lineups, some fresh New Japan Cup entrance. Um, so, yeah, I think Brian Cage would be a great fit for the New Japan product, whether it's strong or, um, you know, in Japan itself. And like you mentioned, doesn't have to worry about cutting promos. They can build him as a monster, uh, kind of like they're doing with Jonah right now, where he's going in there and just kind of smashing people. And I think just the way that the strong TV works. I mean, you don't always see everybody every week and it's kind of paced out. And so I think for him, that would be good too. Cause you can kind of build this mystique. He comes up, you know, once or twice every four weeks, destroy somebody and then you can slowly build him and then get him ready to, you know, potentially be um, a strong challenger. Yeah. I know not everybody's the biggest fan of Brian Cage, but I mean, for a guy as athletically gifted as he is and the physique and everything like that, uh, there's very few guys his size that can do the things that he's able to do. And, um, you know, I noticed he just seemed, like you mentioned, this is probably some sort of de facto trial because this is the most motivated I've seen him uh, look in several years. I mean, he's had some great matches in AEW. Um, the ones that come to mind are like the Moxley and the Darby on matches, but I don't think that he was performing individually as well in those matches or any other one I can think of in, in uh, AEW as he did here. And, you know, partly he was wrestling Will Ospreay, who's, you know, one of the best in the world. So that makes sense. But uh, I, I thought he, let me put it this way. Will Ospreay, I've watched a few of his uh, excursion matches recently. Uh, the three-way where he won this title uh, in Warrior Wrestling and then also the Shota Umino match. He was having to slow down and really wrestle down to the level of the talent that he was with. With Brian Cage, he didn't do that at all. In fact, it seemed like they both were kind of turning it up a bit. And for a 15-minute, you know, fun little title match, they didn't go to that next gear that you know they both have. Um, I still thought they had a great match. So I think, uh, you know, if it was some sort of tryout, uh, I can't imagine people seeing that with their eyes and not being impressed, you know? Right. And I do want to point out, we got, we got a tweet a couple of days ago from one of our listeners, uh, Mike Gamble at the Gambler 23 says, love you guys show, but y'all got to put some respect on warrior wrestling. I live in Chicago land and warrior is growing 
as one of the best indies in the Midwest. Look at the talent they've been bringing in lately. Yeah, the Catholic school promotion is really, really cool. We like them. <laughs> no, for real, though, um, I, I like Warrior Wrestling. I think they've always done a pretty good job. I mean, you, he's right. You, I don't even think it's just look at the talent they brought in lately. I think it's look at the talent. They've only run like 18 shows, and every show they've had has been literally star-studded. In an era where there's not really a super indie, they're kind of the closest thing in the Midwest to like a super indie. They're, they have more um, star-studded shows than, say, like AAW in the Midwest has or, you know, other major indies that might be out that way. I mean, they've had Jay White, Will Ospreay, Minoru Suzuki, you know, Timothy Thatcher, uh, Lance Archer, Brian Cage, all sorts of, I mean, literally, like, you, you, you name them. There's been a slew of top guys coming through that promotion. I don't, I don't know how. I don't know why. You know, I wonder if they're, like, you know, uh, laundering money and, like, using this as a front or some shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they bring in top talent. That's true. Well, I know a lot of it they do for, like, donations to different organizations. I forget which organization was getting the funds yeah, yeah, this, yeah. from this show. So, you know, they're, they're doing quote, a good. Quote, donations. <laughs> like, like I said. <laughs> they're doing some uh, good work. And, yeah, it's it's very interesting, the, the, the big names that they are bringing in. I mean, you got Will Ospreay as your promotions champion. Like, that's pretty big. Like, Ospreay is one of the best wrestlers in the world going today and had an incredible uh, 2021. He's on pace to have a, a great 2022. And so I think just having a guy like Osprey, you know, bringing your belt out in the Tokyo Dome, I think that really kind of adds some credibility. Um, it's really elevates the profile of Warrior Wrestling. So I think they're doing good stuff. Anytime I've seen matches from their shows, they've always been pretty good. Uh, the, the one thing that I, I was not a really fan of from this show was just the commentary. Um, I don't know if you had any it's thoughts about funny. it. Hmm? Uh, you know, uh, I've heard where wrestling have worse commentary, like for real. So I thought this was okay. It's it's an indie show, you know? Yeah. Yep. But yeah, I guess so. whatever. But yeah. But overall, yeah, great match. And yeah, everything else looked, looked good on the show. So yeah, Warrior Wrestling is definitely a promotion to keep your eye out. And they're always bringing in. Uh, fresh talent. I mean, the the free agency is you know getting flooded right now with uh, tons of talented guys. So who knows who they'll bring in next? Not Kaylee Ray. <laughs> uh, I she, I think What's she, her name? You're talking about uh, Smiley Kylie Kylie Ray? Yeah, not Kylie Ray. She was on this show. Oh, was she? Yeah. <laughs> oh, she fucking no showed them before, so I was like, oh, they're not bringing her back. Never mind. Um. <laughs> Um, last bit of news. So Impact, uh, this past week, they had a set of tapings, Jay White, G.O.D., they were on those tapings. And uh, through the course of, you know, the two episode arc or however many episodes those two nights were taped, uh, we've kind of arrived at uh, two matches at No Surrender involving New Japan stars. So uh, it was revealed that uh, G.O.D. is going to be facing off in a tag team match with the Good Brothers. Uh, this has kind of been going on as far back as Resurgence. So we're sort of seeing that play out here at No Surrender. Uh, kind of interesting because it felt like the, the Good Brothers were going to be a uh, maybe a, a staple or a part of New Japan um, Strong or just New Japan proper going forward. And it kind of feels like maybe for the time being that's not the case because this match is happening. Over, or maybe it's a make good for, for Impact and 
you know, just a, a like a charity thing. I don't know, but uh, yeah, we're getting God versus the Good Brothers at No Surrender, and then there's a singles match established between Jay White and Eric Young at No Surrender as well. And I think uh, uh, what what group is Eric Young a part of? Uh, Violent by Design, but right. Joe Doring and I forget who else is in that group, but I know those are the two top guys in the group. Yeah, so there was a, a conflict, you know, and multi-man match and angle and shit like that during the, you know, uh, during the taping. So uh, between the Bullet Club and between Violent by Design, so it kind of was leading to the singles match between Jay White and Eric Young. One interesting thing about uh, those tapings uh, by all the reports that we've heard, uh, Bullet Club came out as complete total baby faces and worked the entire taping as, you know, white hot baby faces taken on heels. So uh, for the time being, at least in this role, it seems like the Bullet Club are, are a baby face faction and impact. I don't know. Yeah, that seems like that might be the case. And yeah, you know, you brought up, you know, G.O.D. Good Brothers. We saw the angle that was shot for them at Resurgence in August. Um, like you mentioned, it does seem like, you know, Good Brothers is going to be a part of New Japan in America because they won the Tag Team Turbulence uh, tournament and they had the angle at Resurgence. They had the tag match against Mox and Nagata. Then it just kind of disappeared after that, and then they were also off of AEW TV with that, that whole relationship kind of ending. So, yeah, finally getting them back around to this G.O.D. Good Brothers. It did seem to be interesting at the time when they shot the angle in August. So we'll see if this kind of jumps up any more interest from uh, New Japan fans, and then Jay White versus Eric Young should be a pretty good matchup as well. Yeah, I'm curious to see kind of what the future is with Bull Club, especially, you know, you have House of Torture kind of running rampant in New Japan, even though, you know, at this point they're not really Bullet Club, but they still have the logo. Um, then you kind of have guys that are kind of in the middle ground right now of like ELP and Taiji and... Um, Gato and Jado and all those guys are kind of in, in the middle, and then over here in America, you have God and Jay uh, kind of doing their thing. Chris Bay, so and Hikaleo. So I'm wondering if we're getting closer to that Bullet Club split. Uh, possibly. I mean, um, you know, and again, I think that it's just going to fizzle out, <laughs> right, and never be addressed. But uh, we'll see what happens. That's going to do it for the news, and uh, it's time to jump into questions. Yep, so lots of questions here. First from uh, from the Discord, Taylor made, yes. Remember when Jay White and Kenny Omega stood face-to-face six months ago? The young boy has no memory of that. <laughs> uh, I, I do, and yeah, it, it did seem at the time like that was going to be um, a hot angle, like they were going to do a match. Uh, you know, Kenny was going to defend one of his titles against uh, Jay White, but yeah, never really uh, followed up on that. Yeah, I don't have much more to add to it. That's that's what happened. Yeah. Uh, next question here comes from a friend of the show, Nick Kelly. We're in a, a New Japan uh, Facebook Messenger group with uh, Nick and all this great conversation with him. And he asks, what do you think the ceiling is for each of the young Lions? Could you also do the first L.A. class? And aside from Fredericks, they've all graduated quite recently. Huh. Interesting question. Um, I mean, it'd be tough to – there's so many Lions – out there now um it would be hard to uh go through each and every single one of them um and you know i don't know if i can put a ceiling on any individual uh person because you just never know when someone's in their young lion phase and then their excursion 
what that may or may not turn into, you know? Right. There's so many guys that like, it seemed like they were going to go on to do amazing things and then they didn't. And then there's other guys that like maybe didn't have the best excursions and maybe didn't have the best, you know, um, lion days and all that. And then, you know, become top mainstay players with the company. So, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, you just really don't know. But with that being said, it feels like the probably two guys that are out there that that the company is probably positioning and pooling to be mega stars are probably Shota Umino and Yuya Yamura, who are both on excursion currently. Yeah, definitely. I mean, those guys have been doing um, some great work, and with Umino in Rev Pro, you know, he, he's doing, you know, kind of doing a Death Rider gimmick and and being shooter, and they've really he's got the white gear. They've done a great job with his presentation, his music, and he's been uh, you know positioned very high in Rev Pro, getting a lot of Rev Pro title matches. Just recently had a title match with Will Osprey a couple of months ago, so he's definitely been like protected and pushed. And Rev Pro, and then um, you look at uh, Yamura, and you know he comes in resurgence his first match in excursion, gets the pinfall. Um, he's been having a lot of good matches on Strong. He's been doing a bunch of indies since he's been here in the states as well. Um, so those definitely two guys that are kind of protecting and pushing. And to me, yeah, they, they both kind of come off with the that aura, and I feel like they there are two guys that. If things go well for them, they could potentially come in and be aces and, and be champions. I mean, I think I think they still have uh, some work to do. You know, Umino, uh, still, you know, he's in there for Osprey, and it was clear that you know Osprey was just um, a level ahead of him and kind of carrying him a little bit. And so Umino still has a next gear to get to to really uh, be that that New Japan main eventer and, and to be that IWGP champ they're looking for. But I definitely think Umino and Umora are the guys out there with the strongest potential. Um, looking at you know the recent LA Dojo guys that are graduating or coming up, you know you got Fredericks, Connors, Coglin, Gabe Kidd. All four of those guys are great. Um, you know initially it did seem like you know Carl Fredericks was you know he was a captain and he was the kind of guy that they were pushing. He was going to be in that New Japan Cup and. Um, and it seems like he's kind of the guy, if anybody, to kind of be the quote-unquote, you know, top main event guy out of that group. But all the rest of those guys have really caught up with him, you know, especially Coughlin in the last several months with the the, the challenge series he's been doing. Like, like you mentioned, it's kind of hard to put a ceiling on any of those guys because I can say, oh, maybe they won't, but you never know, especially when they actually get to Japan. It's going to be interesting to kind of watch all their trajectories and see where they're kind of going. Uh, for Clark Connors, he he is kind of small, so he might just be in a junior division at first. So maybe you, you could put a ceiling on him and saying he he's probably gonna get the junior champion. But based on what they're doing on Strong, who knows? Maybe he can end up becoming a heavyweight. Um, Gabe Kidd, very great technical wrestler. Um, I mean, he can kind of follow the Zack Saber playbook and be a guy that's um, used in in the heavyweight division um, in that kind of sense. There. Yeah, the one thing I've noticed, obviously, Gabe Kidd. Um, had quite a bit more wrestling experience already uh, on the UK indie scene than, say, perhaps the experience that, like, Fredericks, Connors, and Coughlin had when they came into the dojo. Like, he was already a pretty established veteran by the time he got to the dojo. And so, you know, they did 
give him a lot of new training and he definitely came in as a line and everything like that. But I think that he probably needed less seasoning than those guys. You know, he had quite a bit more experience and already coming out of his graduation, he just kind of feels more complete as a performer than, than any of those other guys do right now. Yeah, definitely uh, agree with that. There's not much that he's doing different. I mean, it's not like he has really flashy gear it's not like he has a gimmick, but he just feels like a more complete performer, kind of more ready for the main stage, like a finished product. Um, that's the one thing. Like, I think Coughlin, Fredericks, and Connors are fantastic. Uh, I love those guys, and I'm especially becoming a really big fan of Coughlin. But they don't feel finished to me, even though they've graduated. There, there seems to be something missing. I don't know. I don't want to speculate and say what it is. Um, but there's, they need some a little bit of something, and I don't know if that will shift when they get to Japan, you know. But uh, it, it's kind of a whole new experiment, you know, the whole LA dojo thing. We've never seen them implement guys from a dojo outside into New Japan proper. So what what that will even be, what it will look like, what the uh, ceiling is for them, we don't know because we've never experienced that just quite yet. And I am very interested to see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, and, then, and real quick, uh, Ren Narita, just touch on him a little bit. I mean, we you know we, from day one, we've been on the Narita bandwagon and I, I feel like he can kind of be a quote unquote kind of dark ace. So, you know, kind of pushing Amino and Imura hard. Narita can kind of be that third guy that comes in there who maybe he's not supposed to be the flagship kind of guy, but with his intensity and in wrestling kind of, fight his way up to the top, and he's kind of one of those kind of dark ace underdog guys that uh, gets on top. Well, I kind of feel that way. I was going to mention, and you bring up a great point, I feel that way about him and Suji. I think that we've got two tandems of uh, different generations of lions that are out on excursion simultaneously. You know, obviously, so, like, you've got, like you mentioned, Dorita in L.A., and then you've got um, Shooter Umino over in England, and those are kind of, like, two sides of a different coin. You know what I mean? Right. And then you, you sort of have a mirror of that between Suji and Imura, with Suji kind of being the Narita over in England and then Uemura kind of being the uh, the shooter, except he's in L.A. And I, I think there's definitely a similarity there between Narita and Suji and how the company sees them and their, their physicality, their styles of wrestling and you know, what they may be when they come back, sort of like a dark ace, like you mentioned, versus the more conventional, you know, appealing type of guys that New Japan really goes for in terms of look, in terms of height, size, and style wrestling with, like, Shooter and uh, and uh, freaking Yumura. Yumura. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out with all these guys. I mean, um, and... The big thing is there's a whole generation of New Japan wrestlers that are on their way out. You know, it's no no secret in the next five years. I mean, we're going to start to see them wind down Hanma, you know, Suzuki, Nagata, Kojima, Makabe, you know, Makabe, uh, a whole bunch of Gato, Jado, Tiger Mask, you know, Tiger Mask. There's so many older stars that are going to be kind of cycled out and they're going to need to start turning to those younger stars and that's going to create a power vacuum and yeah there are a lot of free agents out there but there's also a lot of lions in this system so um 
you know, I wish I could tell you who I think is going to be a world champion and who's never going to make it. I don't, I, I can't say that because I, you know, I don't want to be like Coughlin's never going to be an IWGP. You know, I don't know, you know. Right. I mean, all those guys are great wrestlers. It really all, it all, all depends on the push because will they get over in Japan? And, uh, you know, it's kind of the stories that Gail's going to tell with them. Right. So uh, moving on to the next question here, Reddit user Less Commission 7252 says, other than the House of Torture, which NJPW wrestler or wrestlers currently in Japan is most underwhelming to watch? I believe it is Bushi because of how, un- uh, because of how unutilized he has been for years. So I would say Yujiro, but then he's House of Torture. But, yeah. you know, I feel like he's grandfathered into Bullet Club, and I can just give him as the answer because he he was already, even without the, the like, bullshit, underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, honestly, the, the, the right answer, though, is probably, I don't know, Bad Luck Fale. Yeah, or Gato, Jato. <laughs> Or Gato or Jado. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I, I I know he said Bushi. I don't think I would say Bushi. Honestly, I think Bushi is very good in his role. Like, he, right. he's not doing anything more or anything less. Like, he's the kind of the, the mid guy in LIJ. Like, people love him. He has a mask. He, he looks cool when he comes out. Does his little, you know, suicide dive, his little, his little Rana, his Bushi Rooney. He does his thing and he gets out of there. Like, Bushi's not supposed to be some kind of, you know, top, you know, junior ace. He's just, you know, the utility guy. Goes out there, has his, you know, good little three, three and a half star matches, and then gets out of there. Yeah, and if you need him to jump in and have a four star title match, he can do it when called upon. So yeah, he's a utility guy. Um, I agree. I mean, I don't know. Most of the most of the guys that are underwhelming are either going to be very old, or they're going to be like a bullet club slash house of torture guy. Yeah. That's that's my feeling on it anyways. His other question, if you can pick any current wrestler to join a faction in New Japan, who would it be? Jonah Rock would make a great addition to United Empire since their unit is, in my opinion, the strongest unit with most of them being foreigners. So I'm assuming he's meaning that any we could choose anybody to join any promote or any faction. Yeah, but you know it's interesting that he chose someone that's currently unaffiliated, and I'm wondering if that means that's what he was aiming for for us and did and forgot to mention it. But uh, I mean, I guess you could move someone from one faction to another if you really wanted to. I suppose. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm never good at these questions. I mean, is there someone that you think like really just needs a change of scenery and would thrive better in a different group? I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, uh, if his answer for Jonah Rock, I don't know if I would put Jonah in uh, United Empire because they have Jeff Cobb already, and they would kind of. I agree. I agree with that. They would kind I, of. Fit I, in the that same was my role. first thought. Um, it, it, they would just be. It's. I mean, you'd have two giant muscle hosses in the same group, and unless they like were tagging together, that would just feel like overkill. Yeah. Um trying to think there's not really anybody that's coming to my mind that really i think would be i mean uh, maybe uh dirty daddy chris dickinson can join suzuki goon maybe they don't have any foreigners though yeah they used to well yeah they, uh archer he's, he's still a member i guess yeah yeah i guess they, they had davy boy and they had shelton 
then they add, you know, Archer. So, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he could fit in with them for sure. And, I mean, considering his history with Suzuki, that's not a bad pick. Um, I don't know. Part of me is wondering if Lotto needs to, like, join some other faction to, like, mm. shake things off. I don't know. Uh, yo, I felt like they should have they switched Yo after uh, Show turned on him. I thought, you know, him, like, joining, like, LJ or something would have been, like, a fresh thing for him to really re- uh, revitalize him and going into this feud. Just, you know, Yo's not going to happen. Let's stop trying to make Yo happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, we can move on. Next question. So next question from user Jim San 11. What needs to change for New Japan to enter a promising new era? And what is the angle to kick it off? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I think the biggest thing is just, uh, the COVID restrictions. Right. I mean, if we, if we didn't have COVID right now, like imagine all the great stuff that would be happening. I know you joked earlier about, you know, missing out on, you know, great wrestling because of COVID, but it's true. Like we saw what was happening right before COVID uh, happened, the, the title programs they were setting up and the views that were happening. Um, and so now, you know, once the restrictions are lifted, you, you have all these young lions that are graduating and are scourging that can come in. You have a, a roster of strong guys that are ready to come in. You have uh, the forbidden door open. You have AEW guys that can come in. You have people b- being released left and right from WWE that could come in and be good in New Japan. So, yeah, it's, it's COVID. There's so many things that could happen once the restrictions are, are lifted. Yeah. As far as the um, the angle to kick it off, I mean, I don't know. Uh, you know, does it feel like, you know, Tanahashi and Okada was the angle that kind of kicked off, a, you know, like an eight-year story arc, you know, for New Japan and kind of got them back to being hot, possibly? But, I mean, it's not like uh, anybody other than Gato knew that at the time, you know? Right. I just – I assume – once you're moving into a new era, the thing that's going to get it over is fresh young stars, building fresh young stars, which is what they did with Okada and various others at that time. So, I mean, that's kind of what's needed is, I don't know if that means bringing in, you know, someone from the outside to kind of kick things off and get over and uh, do business, or if it's going to be one of these uh, guys in excursion. And, you know, um, I, I feel like it, whatever it is right now, the guy that's carrying the company is Okada and he's the flagship and has been for some time. So whatever it's going to be, it's probably going to involve him. Yeah. So yeah, be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, next question from Renny's the dark soldier says we're celebrating the one month anniversary of world tag league 2021. If the G and G one stands for Goto and the B and best super junior stands for Doki does the W in World Tag League stand for waste of time? Um, I mean, Yoshihashi has a has a tag team title around his waist, um, and that's something I thought I'd never ever ever see. So I don't know how much of a waste of time World Tag League really was if uh, it was used as a vehicle to get over Yoshihashi, and it worked. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's no G1, but I don't know. World Tag League, I, I think, can be uh, can be a fun tournament, and it does kind of help some of the guys like Goto and Yoshihashi uh, get over and Dangerous Techers and G.O.D. and gives them something to do. 
Uh, next question from Reddit user Hawaiian Punch BB. With WWE remaining renaming one of their stars as a Nazi U-boat commander, it reminded me of when they tried to name a certain former young lion as Emperor Hirohito. What if Kenzo Suzuki didn't leave New Japan and stayed? How would his career have played out? They seemed high on him. They had him win the Young Lion Cup over future stars in Tanahashi, Makabe, and Shibata. Um, yeah, it's hard to know. Um, you know, it, it, it's one of those hypothetical what ifs. Do I think that uh, he would have had a good career? Possibly. Um, but, you know, it's like we said earlier, there's some guys, uh, he's, he's a prime example of what I was mentioning during the uh, Young Lion uh you know question earlier is like what's the ceiling i have no clue what's going to happen with these guys yeah kenzo suzuki seemed earmarked to be like the top prospect of a generation of young lions and it was so much so that he went to uh north america wrestled for wwe and then like you know kind of went off into obscurity i mean i think he still worked some other japanese companies afterwards but you know i i without looking at wikipedia i don't know what became of kenzo suzuki you know, so do I think it probably would have ultimately benefited him more to work for New Japan during that time period than, say, WWE? Yeah, probably, because look at where Shibata, Makabe, Tanahashi, and all those guys are now. So, right. Like, even if he didn't win the IWGP title, I think he would have been a, could have been a top guy um, and been infused with all those guys that they were coming up. Like, he, he could have been in that mix. Yeah, definitely. You know, Tanahashi uh, almost took that role. Yeah, I heard about that, yeah. Which is crazy. Uh, his next question, what do you think of Ningano's no-knees D1 performance? It's nice to see Usman becoming a KO threat and Ningano becoming an imposing wrestler ever since they started hanging out. I hope he gets his ass whipping from Tyson Fury for a lot of money. Do you still see Gon becoming a future champion when he works on his grappling some more? Yeah, um, you know, I don't know how legitimate the whole thing is with Nganu's knees, with MCL tears and all that stuff. Uh, maybe it's valid, maybe it's not, you know. Things have been very precarious between the UFC and uh, Nganu and his team and their camp. And, I mean, so much so that, like, Dana White left. <laughs> <laughs> he left the building during his, his uh, fight and, like, didn't present him with the belt didn't go to the press conference like wasn't part of it at all so you know uh very interesting stuff there um i was shocked that Nganu took him down so many times i mean like i was flabbered the whole fight was just perplexing to me in a lot of ways but um yeah i mean if Nganu can continue to utilize wrestling in his uh game i mean that makes him even scarier the, the biggest thing though is he didn't do anything. And I, when I say anything, I mean literally. He didn't do shit on the ground. Like, it's like it's like he's a creative fighter and they taught him the takedown move, but they didn't teach him elbows or punches <laughs> on the ground. Right. So, like, once he got him down there, he didn't know what to do, which is so bizarre. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, he was trying to get some mounts, but, yeah, he wasn't really doing anything besides that. He didn't look for any submissions, really, or he tried to throw some strikes, but he wasn't really getting the full, like, mount and doing that yeah i mean there's a lot of times he could have got a head arm triangle choke he was in perfect position he, he needed to pass the uh the half guard but i don't think he knew how to right um, which and i don't who knows he probably doesn't know how to do a head arm choke which is crazy 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it is interesting. I know I, I wouldn't hold my breath about him and Tyson Fury fighting. It's probably not happening. In fact, I think that uh, I read today that he was in talk. He had talks with Jake Paul's camp, and UFC is like threatening legal action. So. Yeah, who knows? Dave, Dave said they actually like sent him a letter. UFC sent him a letter like the week leading up to the fight, like during the training camp. Okay, yeah. See, I I haven't even listened to Observer or anything like that, so I don't know. Um, as far as Gone becoming future, well, technically Gone is a champion. He is a interim heavyweight champion, which is a you know recognized as a championship in UFC. Um, as far as becoming a future champion, yeah, I think. You know, uh, let's keep in mind, he only had 14 Muay Thai fights before this and then basically, what, like 10 MMA fights. Um, and he is a good grappler. Um, do I think there's some things he can work on? Yes. Do I think he's a finished product and a complete fighter? No. Um, I was surprised uh, that he – I was surprised that these guys didn't go after one another really. Uh, yeah, but, I, I felt like Gon was very hesitant. Like, he was afraid to get hit by Nganu. And so everybody I, should be. Yeah, I mean, obviously, but I feel like his, you know, I've seen some of the other fights. Like, I feel like he was more definitely more aggressive and tried some more things in some of those other fights. And here he's very cautious, um, you know, very methodical and kind of, you know, try, trying to pick his spots, but it, it just wasn't working for him. Yep. Um, so last question here. Did you see the upset of Gary Russell Jr.? I thought he won the fight with one working shoulder, but I'm glad that a six-year farce of a title reign is finally over. How do you think history will remember him or won't remember him? Um, yeah, I didn't see this fight. In fact, you know what's funny? I didn't even know that Gary Russell Jr. fought. Uh, this weekend, I didn't know he even lost his title. I don't know who beat him. I don't know what happened. I'll have to look into it. Um, I like Gary Russell Jr. I think he's a. I think he's a very, very good fighter. I mean, he's very. I mean, he's super fast, uh, and you know, he's really balanced. Great timing. Very athletic. Um, I think the biggest thing when he says farce of a title reign, he's probably talking about the level of competition and challengers he's had, which hasn't been stellar. But I mean, that's boxing. <laughs> you know. <laughs> There's very few guys out there that are taking on all comers and, you know, making the most appealing matches as champion. Just, you know, that's how it is in boxing. Um, as far as, like, history remembering him, I mean, I've, I've never seen anything from Gary Russell that indicates to me that he's going to be remembered as, like, a, a legend or anything like that. I mean, he's a competent world champion, and, you know, uh, hopefully with lightweight blowing up the way it has been the past few years, we start to see some of those other fights, you know, maybe we can get the Lomachenko rematch and, uh, you know, Tiafimo and, uh, you know, Cambosos and all those guys. So, you know, we'll wait and see. I, I don't even know who he lost to. I'll have to take a look at that, see what happens. That's um, weird. I usually at least keep up on, I don't know why I didn't even check the uh, boxing results this past weekend. It's weird. Uh, before we move on to recommended match of the week, we did get a, some updates here for some new matches for the strong taping February 17th, the rival show happening in the Vermont Hollywood. So we're finally getting the singles match with Rocky Romero, our good friend, taking on Black Tiger. We're going to have Yuya Uomura taking on Red Def Daniel Garcia. That should be a fun one. 
Kevin Blackwood taking on Aria Davari and Kevin Knight taking on Hikaleo. Yeah, uh, some good ones there, especially that uh, Daniel Garcia, you more matches that's right up my alley. So now let's move on to recommended match of the week. Last week, I recommended Hiroshi Hase versus Owen Hart from the Golden Series in 1988. It was in the top of the Super Junior Tournament, one of the, the first uh, tournaments of that uh, you know lineage of the Super Junior uh, Tournaments. Yeah, this was uh, very, very interesting. I'm a big fan of Owen Hart. Uh, I like Hiroshi Hase a lot. And, I mean, 1988, you're talking about, uh, you know, an up-and-coming Hiroshi Hase who's kind of just making his mark. And Owen Hart, who's maybe, I wouldn't quite say his prime, but possibly. I mean, some of the best work of his career was being done around that time frame. And uh, this match was really awesome. You know, uh, we, for for the project during the initial onset of COVID, we did the... Uh, final countdown series and we reviewed the finals from this tournament which was Hiroshi Hase and uh, Shiro Koshinaka which I think we liked quite a bit but uh, I gotta be honest like I like this match even better than those I saw the you know I think Dave gave this like three and a half I think that's quite low for what this is Um, I'd probably go close to four stars I think the fact that it's sub 15 minutes might keep me away from knocking it up to the full four mark but um what stood out to me about this match is if you were to ask me for the greatest Owen Hart match of his career, like a top 10 list or same thing with Hiroshi Hase, probably not going to list this match. You know what I mean? It's not going to get listed on any list for like match of the year for 88 or anything like that. Um, and we see this happen a lot of time, especially in super juniors tournaments where there's a lot of really awesome, really cool, really great and entertaining matches that, you know, because of time constraints and what have you, the tournament format, they just don't get remembered. They kind of go by the wayside. And I feel like that's what this match is. But when you actually watch it and you kind of unpack what it is, this is an awesome, awesome match. And, I mean, it's just a grab bag of the best stuff that made 80s junior wrestling incredible, Uh, very much in the same vein as, like, Tatsumi Fujinami's junior run back in the late 70s, early 80s. And I mean, you've got a lot of high flying, but it's not all flippy stuff. It's kind of combined with very real, very strong, very aggressive um, grappling and very fast paced grappling, very nasty, lots of uh, hard strikes, a lot of, you know, fast paced running the ropes, coming off the top rope. And um, it didn't follow the conventional methods of a regular match layout where there's a long shine sequences and heat and all that. It kind of felt more like an exhibition, uh, but with the volume turned up where these guys were just going, 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 going spot, 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 which sometimes that's awesome. And yeah. that's kind of what you got here. Yeah. It kind of felt like back in the day when you have like an exhibition match with like two baby faces. And so like, there's not really a story, but they're just kind of going out there and, and you know, high speed. And it's kind of like you mentioned kind of spot to spot and kind of really killing it. Yeah. And when I say spot, I'm not talking about a spot in the sense of like the, the way some people think of it, like a flippy do move, you know, a spot is literally just um, like a series of maneuvers or uh, like a big move. That's what a spot is. And, you know, back in the old days, that's what a spot fest was. It wasn't just always guys flying around. 
But you know, in this in this match, sure, there's some grappling, but it's not grappling the way that like a lot of the New Japan grappling at the time in the heavyweight division would be done, where you know they're they're sitting in the maneuver and they're selling it for a long time, and you know what some people call rest hold. I mean, there's very little of that here. This was just more of like a very intense, high octane, you know, um, 13 minute junior match. And then um, Owen Hart really had a lot of really great near falls towards the tail end here. I sort of felt like maybe he was going to pick up the win. And then Hiroshi Hase, oh my God, there was one lariat that he hit Owen Hart with just prior to the end. And he looked like he fucking ended this man. <laughs> yeah, bro, that, that lariat was brutal. <laughs> yeah, um, really brutal. And I mean, when we train um, lariats, oftentimes, you know, you train it so that where you're positioned is that you're off their center line. So you're not squared up with them when you're running at them. You know, you're running to where they're on the outside of you so you can reach your arm over and hit them. But Hiroshi Hase was squared up with this man where he was running straight at him and then just angled a high angle arm like at his neck. It was so, it was so gnarly. Um, And Hase ended up picking up the win here. And I really enjoyed this match. I think it's a little bit of a hidden gem. So, you know, that's kind of what the whole point of recommend a match of the week is. If you guys haven't seen it, it's on New Japan World. Big recommend, and it's no time at all. I I really would uh, highly recommend you check it out. Nice. What is the recommended match for this week? Well, I put it in the rundown. You're probably looking at it being like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I wanted to stick with the uh, Golden Series theme. So um, I'm putting in a really, really, really fun match uh it's not a classic but uh it's kind of very similar to the hase owen hart match where you know no one's going to confuse this for a match of the year but this match just rocks and it is awesome it's from the golden series january 8th 1982 it's a six-man tag and uh we see the team of antonio Inoki, tatsumi fujinami and tiger mask the original tiger mask satoru sayama as they take on the team of Abdullah the Butcher, Babyface, and Dynamite Kid. Uh, any questions about what's going on here, Jeremy? Any background I can give you before we go? Who is Babyface? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Babyface uh, is a luchador. Uh, their partner at the time was, um, oh, God, it wasn't CMLL. There was a different um, lucha outfit. Back then, what was the name of that company? Oh, this is gonna, it doesn't matter. Um, IWA, God, it's gonna bother me so much when we get off uh, the air that I didn't remember. Like, literally, it's gonna, you know, they had Fishman working for them and all those guys. Um, doesn't matter. Anyways, God. Okay, anyways, so Babyface is a luchador from Mexico, and um, he's very, uh, how do I describe Babyface? I mean, um, he doesn't wear a mask or anything like that. You know, he, he dresses in trunks, and he's sort of like a little bit stockier, heavy set uh, luchador. He still can do the high flying and stuff like that, but he does a lot of brawling as well. Uh, very much a eight of his time 80s luchador. And... Um, the, what's interesting about this match is you've got the ace of the company, the founder. Uh, you know, was it got, UWA? Yes, it's the UWA. God, thank you. 
Um, <laughs> that was going to like fucking freak me out. I didn't remember the UWA. Uh, Anoki, obviously the uh, ace of the company. And then you've got his protege, Fujinami, who's just left his tenure as like the uh, flagship junior of the company. And he's rising through the uh, heavyweight ranks at the time. And then, you know, the, the new smash sensation in the junior division, Tiger Mask. So you've kind of got the three top big stars in New Japan at the time taking on essentially what are three mega heel outsiders or foreigners. And, you know, Dynamite Kid and Tiger Mask are in the middle of their series of matches and their uh, blood feud. And then you've got Abdul the Butcher, who's, you know, one of the top foreign gaijin heels in the entire country and him and Inoki are feuding. And then, you know, Babyface is sort of like your utility lucha guy. And um, what's fun about this match is like everybody does something different. So you've got Tiger Mask who can fly. You got Abdul the Butcher who like gets, you know, nasty with the fork on the outside and, you know, just does the brawling. You got Dynamite Kid and uh, Fujinami who are both like, you know, technical marvels who do, who do the hard hitting, fast paced, you know, classic wrestling style babyface who's this luchador is doing the flips and the high flying and then anoki doesn't really have to get involved much in the match he can literally just come in and fire up and the whole crowd goes crazy match is only 13 minutes long and it is two out of three falls um you know it's an it's an abdul the butcher match so there's some you know some bullshit involved <laughs> um but this is this is actually the match that convinced anoki to never book tiger mask as a heavyweight because he gets into it with Abby, and it gets massive, massive heat. But it, that was this is the match that convinced him, like, oh shit, he's too small to, to wrestle, uh, to, to wrestle convincing heavyweights. But um, yeah, this is not available on New Japan World. Um, I have provided Jeremy a link where it can be found. It's not that it used to be really easy to find this on the internet, but it's been taken down. But uh. I, presented, I provided Jeremy a link to the show. I don't know if he's going to be able to provide it to you guys, but, uh, you know, this is uh, this is one of those ones where it's kind of a really infamous match. And, uh, you know, if, if you like, like, clusterfucks of a match, that's what this shit is, and it's really awesome. Nice. Well, uh, looking forward to uh, checking that out. Should be interesting there. Yeah, we can uh, tweet the link out. Uh, maybe Hopefully, I don't know if you think it's a good call or not. I don't know if it'll get taken down if we... Uh... That's the thing. I don't want it to get taken down. The, the guy that does this, he runs like an archive, and I think he owns all the footage, but I don't want him to get flagged. So here's like, the I thing. Think we can, I think we can put it in the show notes, but I don't want to like tweet it out. Right. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes, and then if you or if you guys want to DM me privately, I, I'll share a link with you privately. Just don't don't post it anywhere. Well, the thing with this link is like it's got like uh, a bevy of 1982. New Japan matches on it. I think there's like a hundred matches on this like little archive drive here. Mm. So you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's the thing. Gotcha. So. All right. Yep. I'll put it in the show notes. Look for it guys in the description of the notes there to get the link for that matchup. And uh, that's going to wrap things up for this week. I know you're probably wondering what the heck are you guys going to talk about next week with the rest of January being canceled? Well, uh, Coming up at the end of this month is the 10-year anniversary of the Rainmaker Shock where Okada comes back from excursion and uh, takes the title from Hiroshi Tanahashi, kind of kicking off, like Josh mentioned earlier, this, this era of the last eight years of New Japan 
pro wrestling. So we're, we're going to celebrate that. We'll uh, talk about the Raymaker Shock. We'll look at the first uh, Young Lion match that uh, Okada had, or as his last match with uh, that he had with Tanahashi before leaving for excursion. We'll look at the Raymaker Shock and some of the matches that happened that year in that rivalry. Uh, we'll probably bring in a guest for that as well, but it should be a, a fun episode to kind of look back and just kind of explore the, the beginning stages of the Okada-Tanahashi rivalry. Yeah, I'm definitely going to uh, queue up the show buckle to, uh, you know, give me the uh, the inside scoop on this. You know, that guy, I wish he still made videos, but uh, I'm going to, you know, uh, definitely check that out, watch these matches. We'll do some deep dive research for you guys. And, uh, you know, this is the most formative and important feud of the modern era of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, I mean, um, February 12th, I believe, is the anniversary for the uh, um, invasion attack match where the uh, Rainmaker shock took place. And, you know, by the time this show airs, it will be, you know, just, uh, you know, 11 days removed from that anniversary. So I think it's a very fitting and a opportune time for us to kind of um, go back, take a look at those matches, take a look at the, uh, the coverage that was uh, going on around that time. And then kind of take a look back and, um, you know, give our insights and, uh, you know, um, sort of celebrate this uh, incredible series of matches that these guys had. Uh, we don't have time to do all 15 matches, obviously, <laughs> but I think we will take a look at probably like the first three, maybe four matches between um, the Young Lion match leading all the way up to their Wrestle Kingdom 7 showdown, I believe. Yeah, I think that, that, that sounds good. So looking forward to checking that out and just kind of reliving history and checking out yeah, the beginning phases of a feud that really kicked off a golden era in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So we'll catch you next week on that. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you stay connected with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. I am at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. Join us on Reddit. I am the pro black guy. Just keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. Check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Show Radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Ford. Brave Consequences Podcast with Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. And the AEW Match Guy Podcast hosted by Sir Sam. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we'll catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. That's all, bitches. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.